0: Jeez. Recorded live. Hey there, it's Podcast Winterfell episode two hundred and twenty-four. This week we are, of course, covering spoiler-free news for our non-book reader listeners. And we are also in our twenty-second week of George R. R. Martin's A Feast for Crows and a Dance with Dragons Tandem Read for those of you who are reading the books along with us. My name is Matt Murdock, and I'm from PodcastWinterfell.com. That's of course where you can find all of the back episodes all the social media, contact, and podcatcher links, and I would love it if you would take just a little bit of time to leave me a review on iTunes or Stitcher. That would be of the written kind, not just the stars. It's the written kind that helped me. Um, And I will thank you in this very spot right here in this portion of the podcast when you do so. But I won't call you out by name. I'll just call you out by username. So there you go. And I won't say what kind of review you gave, uh, you know, If you give me a one-star review, I'll still thank you. Anyway, uh, before we start our TV-friendly news, I do want to remind anybody in our chat room right now who are listening to this podcast as we record it that after the news section, uh, we will be in spoiler territory in regards to the television series. So if you don't want to be spoiled, you might want to leave the chat by then. Same for you listeners. We'll give you listeners uh, who are just uh, TV-only people. We'll give you plenty of time. We'll give you a little bit of uh, space Uh, with Axel Foley telling you how to contact me at the end. And with that, it's time to introduce our panel for this discussion. And we welcome back someone who hasn't been with us for a couple weeks, but it's great to have her back. Welcome back, Susan. How are you?
1: Hello? Hello?
2: Well, that was a great setup, Matt. Way to really set it up. Someone who hasn't been with us in several weeks and isn't still with us. Uh, uh, Hello, I'm back.
3: Hi, Matt. My son came in and uh, and uh, he muted me. I didn't realize. Sorry, I'm here. I muted you. Uh, No, my son did. He
0: he oh, he muted me. Where I was and
3: was talking to me and.
0: Gotcha. I I got it all fixed
3: you. now. I'm here, yes. Hey, right. Thanks well,
0: for welcome. having me. All right. Well, welcome back. And uh, we welcome back, of course, one of our regulars from the Captain Punishment Adventure Hour. Mr. Mike, how are you, sir? I am uh, present, accounted for, and glad to be here. Yes, and he answers immediately when I call his name. gets <laughs> a gold star. <laughs> someone who gets seven gold stars always, of course, from the Joffrey of podcasts also, that would be Bubba. How are you, sir?
2: Matt, we're taping this on a special day. It's the night before the Blu-ray releases, and all through the land, people are dreaming of watching these things on demand. Boys go to bed with (laughs) with their hopes running high that soon Marjorie will join them and get busy. Sorry. Okay, I'm not prepared. Let's cancel the show.
0: <laughs> wow. Yes, yeah, it's, it's left field. And with that, we'll move on to the news. Let's uh, see. Okay. Well, as Bubba so aptly put just a few moments ago, the season four of Blu-rays and DVDs are coming out this week. Uh, by the time you get this podcast, it will have already been released on February 17th. So get your copies and look them over. We're going to have a special look at them in a weekend dish- edition of the podcast in a couple weeks with a couple of guests that you haven't heard from in a long while, like DJ Tim Hines and Axel Foley and maybe Heat Solo. So we'll uh, we'll look forward to that. Uh, congratulations to, of course, to Game of Thrones for that, but our congratulations are all also in order for to Lena Heady, who uh, People Magazine reported is pregnant. She released the following statement. I'm happy to confirm that I'm having my second child this summer. I only hope that this announcement can help me to regain some privacy that I have recently lost due to prying photographers and ask that they please respect my privacy and let me enjoy this time. Now, this is the second time she had her first uh, boy, uh, she, she was pregnant with them during the uh, production of Game of Thrones Season 1. So uh, she's old hat at this, and I guess uh, the, uh, the folks at Game of Thrones are old hat at covering it up. So uh, congratulations once again to Lena Headey for that, uh, the uh, upcoming uh, birth of a child. It's wonderful. Um, Matt, Headey, Matt, Matt.
2: Matt, can I ask you, do you think it's a coincidence that she's played mother of His Grace King Joffrey and then suddenly decided that maybe she should try to be a mother in real life?
0: I was just going to say that, uh, you know, (laughs) this this is her second child, but I, I, I just hope that she can deal with the disappointment that no child will ever live up to His Grace King Joffrey.
2: Well, I mean, let's be honest. These kids, if that's the scale, they'll be up on the adoption
4: train real quick.
0: Yeah, yeah. Unfortunately, uh, that would be the case, because no child can live up to the great King Joffrey. That is for certain. I know that I certainly didn't. and If I ever had any children, they couldn't possibly. (laughs) Anyway, uh, Game of Thrones Twitter account has announced that HBO Shop will be selling a Game of Thrones collector's edition of Monopoly during 2015. Featuring infamous locations from the original dramatic television series, including Castle Black, Winterfell, King's Landing, and players will buy, sell, and trade their way to sit atop the Iron Throne. There's also some collectible tokens involved, like dragon's eggs, three-eyed ravens, uh, White Walkers, direwolves, uh, uh, crown, uh, a crown, and the Iron Throne. Let's see. Custom villages and keeps will replace the traditional houses and hotels. That's uh, coming up uh, sometime later this year. Mike, um, what are they going to do for the railroad, though? I mean, what what, what do you make the railroad? <laughs> what do you make the railroads? Uh, maybe you just switch them to like roads. You know, there's no rail. There's just a road. You know. <laughs> I guess you could have the Kings Road, the East Road, the High Road, whatever, the Low Road, I don't know. <laughs> uh, there should be a Joffrey Road, right, Bubba?
2: That's right. I was going to think that you don't go to jail, you go to the Black cells. It's Most likely you'll be beheaded once you go there, so it'll be easy to win. Just don't get sent
0: there. <laughs> exactly. Just don't get sent to the Black cells. Now, something I'm sure that interests Susan, Uh, Recently on His Not a Blog, Martin was asked about the possibility of extending the series past seven books. His answer was to the writer that sent in. He commented saying, no, he was still planning on seven books. And he confirmed that uh, with a statement to showbiz411.com recently stating, I have two more books, the one I'm writing now, The Winds of Winter, and after that, the last book, The Dream of Spring. So those will be the two final books. Susan, can he wrap it up? in just two books? And will it take 20 years?
4: <laughs> it might
3: take 20 years. I think he can wrap it up in, in two books. I wouldn't be surprised if it stretched out past that, but I think he can do it.
0: He seems to be of the of the mind that the, these uh, last two books will be 1,500 pages apiece. Uh, he stated in it as well, so... Uh, that's uh, pretty interesting. Uh, 3,000 pages of A Song of Ice and Fire proper left to read. Uh, We'll also have a little bit of a discussion about something else he said in that interview, but we don't want to talk about it with our uh, TV-only people right now. Um, Of course, we already knew it was coming, and uh, we've mentioned it uh, several times on this particular podcast, but uh, Game of Thrones mixtape is coming out coming out in March, and uh, HBO has announced the, uh, or has given an official press release for Catch the Throne 2, and some of the artists uh, that are going to be on it we hadn't heard yet, and that would be, uh, well, we know of Anthrax, um, Kill Switch, Engage, Method Man, Snoop Dogg, and Yandle. So it's also going to be released in March free of charge, and listeners will be encouraged to uh, share this uh, online using the hashtag, I guess, on Twitter, maybe on Facebook too. I guess you can use hashtag, hashtags on Facebook and, or yeah, on Facebook and Tumblr also, but hashtag "Catch the Throne." Now, Mike,, uh, are you any more impressed by this mixtape now that you know the full <laughs> lineup of artists? If I thought that they were going to, like, assign characters to each artist and have, like, Method Man do a song from, like, Tyrion's POV, then I'm in. You know, something like that, maybe some sort of a hook like that. But as it stands, I just am having a hard time figuring out how they're going to do anything thematically interesting. But we've talked about it so much, now I have to listen. (laughs) Well, you know, it's interesting you say that, because Snoop Dogg is Oberyn Martell. Is he not, Bubba? (laughs) Snoop Dogg?
2: Let me tell you, each one of his songs is mind-blowing, you know what I mean? Hello, Oberyn. (laughs) Uh,
0: Right on. Uh, Susan, you got a favorite of those artists that you'd be wanting to listen to? Do something tributed to Game of Thrones? Uh,
3: No, not really, but I do think I did the Snoop dog doing some commentary spoof on Game of Thrones once on um, I, I don't know what I was watching, but I thought I think he's supposed to be a fan, so yeah. Excellent,
0: excellent. Well, see that that'll be great. That'll be fantastic. Uh, Isn't that the video where he was smoking weed with Seth Rogen? Yeah. yeah. That's, I mean,
3: yep, that's what I'm talking
0: about. All right. Well, that that could give it some promise. The other thing is, I think if Anthrax just takes over in Martell's speech to Tyrion and then his speech to, to the mountain and just works those as lyrics, that might work over an Anthrax song.
4: Oh, what about my <laughs> How
0: about that? I'm giving nope. it a maybe. A maybe, okay. All right, well, you know, I'm, I'm not very good at all that stuff. So. Anyway, uh No, let's that see. was a good impression. I'm just saying conceptually
1: it's a maybe.
0: <laughs> well, uh, I got one last little bit of news here and then I'll open up the floor in case anybody has some tidbits that I've missed. But uh, director Adam Shankman is now in talks to direct A Lucky Day, a Paramount Pictures comedy that will star Game of Thrones Emmy winner Peter Dinklage as a con man who may or may not be a real leprechaun, but who certainly passes himself off as one. The film is being produced by Mary Parent and Kale Boyder uh, through their Disruption Entertainment Banner, uh, and Dinklage is also involved as a producer. So, uh, Mike, I know you and I were talking uh, a while back about the, about Dinklage and, and his kind of aversion to these kind of, of roles and everything. Um, we won't say what context that was in, but uh, how, how do you feel? How do you feel about that? I mean, uh, it's going to be a comedy. I, I love Peter Dinklage. So I'll probably see it just for that. Yeah, I mean, I think it's you know it's an interesting thing that somebody uh, of his height has gained such stature. If you understand what I'm saying, you know, because if he's in, I don't has there ever been another actor uh, who's a dwarf who is so respected. Um, and kind of looked up to in his own little universe, you know. So it makes mm-hmm. you think, like, he's obviously not doing it for the money. You know, he's not, I mean, this isn't just kind of, he's fine. He's doing well on the big, biggest TV show in the world right now. So there's got to be something else to it. There's got to be something intellectually challenging to it. And even within a comedy, you know, you can challenge those kind of basic ideas, Um the you know, the, the elf character in bad santa is maybe a ridiculous example but as an example nonetheless like they're taking those tropes and playing with them and making jokes out of them but still kind of subverting them anyway so you know i i mean i'll see anything that he's in so i'm still gonna see it and hopefully you know it's smart how could it not be yeah good point good point uh I'm going to open the floor up because I kind of just went, skimmed through the news. Bubba, is there anything news-wise that I missed that you wanted to bring up?
2: Uh, just that how many days away are we from the new show beginning? This is, this is taking forever for these new episodes to appear.
0: Yeah, April 12th. Is it April yet? Seems to be the hashtag for Podcast Winterfell lately. So yeah. definitely, uh, definitely true. Uh, Susan, any, any other news?
3: Uh, I don't think so. Um I just will comment that uh, with uh, Lena Headey's uh, statement about privacy, does that mean that we're not supposed to speculate on on the father?
0: Do you want to speculate on the father? Let's do that. Let, let, <laughs> well, let's let, let, let's turn this into let's turn this into a, a TMZ cast and um I I you know my first thought that went through my mind was Pedro Pascal. I don't know about you.
3: Well, yeah, that's, that's exactly because uh, I understood they were dating. So, I mean, I think it'd be wonderful.
0: Uh, let me
2: say, let me say, Lena, that I was respecting your privacy. These other two,
4: <laughs> these
2: other two, attack them, please. But remember that Bubba at Fit and Trim on Twitter, F I T T E N D R I M on Twitter, respected your privacy. <laughs>
0: <laughs> <laughs> and note that at Winterfell Pod, that's uh right. yeah, there's no spelling necessary, actually congratulated mm. you, whereas at fit and trim did not. That's mm. right. Yeah.
2: The congratulations yeah. would have been a violation of her first amendment right to free speech to not say anything. Uh,
0: okay. <laughs> uh, that's a good point. Well she released a she released a people magazine. I mean you're not gonna make it any more public than that. Uh, any other? I mean, it's certainly. I we won't even go there. We won't even talk about poor Lena anymore. I I'll, I'm just have to say that you know I'm really disappointed. I thought after her divorce that I might actually have a chance. Obviously not. I'll have to just uh, travel with Heath Snow over to the I don't know the Netherlands and chase Carice van Houten around for a while. That
2: exactly. That response sounds like exactly what the father of this baby would say to keep it private. Matt, what have you been doing?
4: <laughs>
3: I only bring up the comment about I'm, I'm commenting on on Pedro just because I think that that's you know a nice tie-in with the Game of Thrones community, and uh, he um, I I think it would be great if that was the the way it was, but um, you know whatever it is for life, so.
2: I won't comment any further.
4: Well if well, the baby
2: be... if the baby comes out with a smashed head and looks like him, sure.
0: <laughs> I all I'll say is they are adorable together, so a, a little one of theirs would be uh would be just as adorable. Right? So I agree. Agreed. And if you haven't left us already, TV <laughs> listeners, T V only people, you're leaving us now because Axel Foley is going to tell you how to contact me. But first, Mike is going to tell you how to contact him about Game of Thrones. Uh, I am on Twitter at Fifth Column Film. Happy to talk. Yeah, and uh, you know, let's let Bubba shout out his Twitter handle about ten times this episode. Go ahead, Bubba. What, how can people contact you about Game of Thrones, sir?
2: Well, listen. The easiest way to protect your privacy is to follow me on Twitter. That's at Fit and Trip. <laughs> F-I-T-T-E-N-T-R-I-M at Fit and Trim on Twitter. Go there now. Tweet at me your name, your social security number, and the three digits on the back of your credit card, and no one else will know.
0: (laughs) Very Joffrey-like. Speaking of which, any new Joffrey uh, podcasts coming out or just the one for now? (laughs) Oh,
2: my God. I came out with one last week. How many do you people need?
0: Yeah, all right. Well, check it out on iTunes and on Stitcher, the Joffrey of Podcast. Uh, also, make sure to check out the uh, upcoming editions or past editions of the Captain Punishment Adventure Hour with Mike and uh, Susan. You got a podcast you want to plug or anything?
3: No, no. I just uh, you know join in here when I when I want to share my two cents worth. But uh, you can reach me at Black Eyed Lily on Twitter as well. And uh, and I think I follow Lena. I
4: think I follow her Twitter on the on the
2: Twitter page. Give her I, some space, Susan. <laughs> <laughs> uh,
0: that's at I am Lena Heady, ladies and gentlemen. <laughs> How's that for privacy? All right, oh. uh, here's Zach Foley to tell you how to contact me. We'll talk to you later.
1: Okay, we're in the book section.
0: If you're not a book reader, Pete, why are you here? Um, no. Heath, you're more than welcome to join in. Heath, we have, we have BRs, we have NBRs. All of this comes from the Joffrey Podcast, by the way, uh, because Axel decided to, to use things like SSs, uh, like the Surly Starks and such. He decided oh. to make us BRs, that's us. NBRs are the people who don't read the books. And then there are, I, I guess, uh, BRWBs. Those are BR wannabes. That would be like Heath Snow. Wow.
2: We 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 serve all kinds here on Podcast Winterfell.
0: We do not discriminate on Podcast Winterfell, uh, but we're going to not discriminate about what we talk about next because Bubba, I know this has been a big concern uh, for you, uh, especially after last week's chapters. We uh, you know there's as happens every year, somebody puts Michelle Fairley's uh, thing up on the last episode of, of a season. Saying you know that it's a hooded woman or as a Lady Stoneheart or whatever, and that's always turned out to be false. But something that really struck me this week was an interview with Richard Dormer in uh, Esquire magazine, where he says he has not been asked to return as Beric Dondarrion. So, right, uh, what does that mean? And I mean, is the whole Brotherhood without Banner storyline that we've been just recently reading about, of course, in the last Brienne chapter? Is that completely out the window now? I mean, have Dave and Dan just completely abandoned all of that?
2: Well, let me say I would definitely assume so. However, not that I think this is true, but what I would say is that if, if you just follow the books, you realize that Barrick died or his final death after all those uh, deaths he came back from as he gave the kiss of life or the breath of life to dead Catlin, so it's not like Barrack is coming back in the books either. So uh, uh, they would re- they would they would need Thoris, they would need Michelle Fairley. Uh, maybe you'd bring back the guy who played the Archer and guy, but uh, it's you know I think it's out. But for those of people who love that storyline in the books, and I certainly do, I think there's is
0: some hope still. Yeah. I had pinned my greatest hope on the fact that maybe, okay, maybe they're not going to do the Stoneheart thing, because uh, two people back from the dead might just be too weird that they might keep Beric Dondarrion around and just have him do the role of Catelyn Stark from a different motivation period, but um, obviously that's not the case. Susan, what, what thoughts do you have on that?
3: I don't know. I mean, I really thought that if they weren't going to bring back Lady Stoneheart that they would do something with, with Beric, too, so I'm, i am i don't have any idea what they're
0: going to do at this point. Neither. Mike, any speculations? I mean, that makes sense, but I think that especially television viewers are so much more connected to uh, Catlin that, you know, especially for television, it would make more sense to, to wrap Dondarrion into her than the other way around. Uh, Mm -hmm. and plus I just think I would like it better that way maybe that's tailoring my thoughts but at this point I mean the moment that her name appears on any sort of a cast list everybody knows exactly what it is she's not going to play a woman, you know so it would be kind of hard to hide but I think it would ultimately be more satisfying if it was Stoneheart Mm -hmm. uh, well uh, obviously I I think it would be too Uh, although I have to say I really don't want to think of Catelyn that way. I want to think of Catelyn as the way that I brought this up in last week's podcast. Of course, uh, uh, it disturbs me. Lady Stoneheart disturbs me, and I got berated by Bubba for being I uh, I don't know an unstraightener in that respect. Somehow. <laughs> anyway, uh, speaking of Bubba, we have yeah. this. We have uh, another little bit of news. I mentioned it in the in, slightly in in the uh, in the TV only section, but. George also, in the same interview yeah. with uh, the 411.com uh, URL, said that he uh, looked, or that it looked like that many of the uh, uh, characters that he thought might live in his books might die in the TV show. And, and I guess you could already make cases for like a Grin or a Pip or possibly a Jojen, uh, at least so far, right. spread so far. Um, but you have a game you want us to play, right? Yeah,
2: well, I would say this has been going on with Game of Thrones for quite a while, in the very first season. I mean, this is the minor of minor characters, but uh, the very first season, Nerillion, uh the uh, singer, loses his tongue on the show, even though he still had his tongue and was alive and all these things, uh, in the books, in the third book and in this uh, J- tandem Reed, we're finding out about him and how he's kind of framed for the murder of Liza Aaron and so the show has been doing it for a while in the second season they killed Erie and Ricaro two Dothraki who are still alive in the books uh, and so uh, you know it's been going on for quite a bit of time but now that we hear okay some characters who are still living in the books like last season Jojen got killed Pippin Gran got killed I thought maybe we should go ahead and have some predictions. If there's anybody you think, any characters that you think might be killed who are still alive in the books. I have some thoughts. I don't know if anybody else wanted to jump in, but if you're, you're the showrunners and you need some shocking deaths, who is still alive in the books, at least so far? I don't want to spoil anybody in the tandem read. Who uh, A couple of characters uh, may not survive the rest of this tandem read, but I was just going to say, is there anybody that people could start throwing out names of characters who might bite it.
0: Let's let Mike go first. Yeah. Janice, man.
2: Oh, no. Janice.
0: Okay. I've been saying I'm not totally certain him and Melisandre are going to make it out of the tandem ring. Uh, But, I mean, I don't have a whole lot of evidence for that other than trying to figure out kind of how to to wrap it up. And I think, uh, you know, the other thing about Stannis is that if Stannis goes then it really pretty much wraps things up for the Lannisters. Um, you know, at least for the next fifteen minutes or so. <laughs> until somebody else comes along. <laughs> but I I mean to me like that's the biggest, you know, the biggest high profile character that I don't think is really gonna make it. Mm, in other words, yeah. so you're saying you care about Stannis? Yay. I, I mean yeah, I guess so. More than I ever had before. <laughs> Bubba, you've turned another one. <laughs> evolution,
1: uh, baby. Evolution.
0: <laughs> what about you, Susan? Is there any characters that come to mind that you think that uh, Dave and Dan wouldn't have any problem axing that George just can't let go of?
3: Oh, dear. Like, just for this next season coming up or For overall? this
2: season... For this season coming up, George says we're going to see deaths that aren't in the books. And so Uh what do you think? Got any ideas?
3: Well, going off of the trailer, I would uh, put a vote in there for Grey Worm.
2: All right. Right. Is he just asleep when Misande's kissing him in the trailer? Or is he dead? Right. Or has, has somebody cut off something more important than his junk? They've cut off his heartbeat.
4: <laughs> wow. Right.
0: That's a good one. That's a good one. Um, I have no guesses, Bubba. Why don't you give me yours?
2: Okay. Now, I don't want to say, once again, There, you know, I, God, it's so tough because people who are following in the tandem read who haven't finished these books, uh, I think it's safe to say, and you can probably assume there are going to be some characters you've known and loved, who may not survive this tandem read? But the ones that jumped out at me as I was just trying to make this big list of, well, what could you do? What could you do? And so I just started thinking about the tandem read. And okay, so Grey Worm certainly jumped out at me. Uh, you need to show this, you know, uprising in Marine, and, and what, what way for it to emotionally connect with the audience, and for poor Grey Worm to lose it. Uh, another character there in Marine, I thought, well, maybe uh, Sir Barristan is sir gonna die and you know i was trying to think well maybe you know danny's got enough people in her tent maybe you kill him i thought some other names that jumped out at me in this tandem read we really haven't touched on Braun much you know cersei kind of hears about him but it's not like he's been on the page so maybe they need a shocking death and they'll get rid of Braun. uh some other names that just jumped to mind uh we talked about uh, uh, getting to the end of some of these chapters. Does Podrick have to survive? He you know, was kind of just a hanger-on right now in Brienne's story. Do you need to keep paying this actor? And so uh, some other names, Robin Aaron seems like he's in trouble, Marcella, uh Mance Raider. even. I think there are a lot of names you could look at. Those were mine.
0: Hmm, interesting. Well, you guys keep bringing up Grey Worm, but the one that sticks out to me, uh, who, of course, is very much alive in the books right now, is Misande.
2: Oh, right, right. That's a good point. That would a
0: significant loss, yeah.
2: How big does Team Danny need to be? Uh, right. You know, she's got, right now, she's got Dario. You know, maybe we get rid of his annoying... In the butt, we you know she's got all these people on her team, quote unquote, there in Marine and Marine. Let's be honest, only takes up about five minutes an episode, so maybe you do thin it pretty uh, severely by chop, chop, chapping.
0: Mm. Can I put out one more? Sure, yeah, let's
4: do it. Of course.
0: I, I mean, I think that uh, killing Cersei is a quick way to to really dramatically alter the storyline. Well, she's um, pregnant.
2: Let's get her off the show. You
0: know, we can't hide that <laughs> belly. Let's go. We need tight dresses. Come on. I think oh, okay. that, you know, she's, you know, with everything, I mean, we saw with last week's chapters, things have started to turn, you know, not necessarily to that degree. But I think that within the confines of the TV show, if you really need to, to shift the landscape pretty dramatically, that would be... A big way to do it and you know we've kind of already got the setup here for how that could happen not you know necessarily even a direct execution of the kind of uh the binetting style but you know just kind of driven mad um or you know being so you know kind of being frozen out in terms of being physically you know just kind of cold and not fed and nourished and those kinds of things It could be that, you know, and that could also be something that could be done through poison uh, in the way that, you know, they talked about Tywin and and his stink and all of that. It just seems to me like that would be a quick way to completely, you know, kind of send an earthquake through King's Landing and not exactly start over, but kind of restart that part of the story um, that might be more useful in a television show than it would be in the books, because, you know, there would be, you'd be able to kind of cut it short to a certain extent. So that would be a major shift, I think, is is the main thing that leads me to that.
2: Mike, you've inspired me, uh, not about Cersei, but I started thinking, yeah, how could you trim King's Landing? And I thought maybe Loras Tyrell, the Knight of Flowers. In the novels, theoretically, he went to Dragonstone and got injured. Maybe you'd just kill
4: him. Ooh.
0: Yeah, we don't know what his fate is going to be yet in these books either. So uh, it it would seem that, they, I mean, obviously, according to Marjorie, he's clinging on to life. But um, maybe, you know, uh, evidently, Jojen just wanted to go home was enough to make David <laughs> decide to kill Jojen.
4: So uh, that, that you may know, be this, enough.
2: This is getting kind of fun. Who else can we kill? Let's do it. <laughs>
0: I don't know. Let's just kill them all. Just, that's, that's the way it's going to end. We, we've all, everybody's often made the joke that there's only going to be one person left in West all of Westeros at the end of George's books. But evidently, that's not the case. George's got a heart as opposed to David and Dan. <laughs> uh, you guys ready to talk about these chapters? Oh, yeah. Do yeah. it. All right, well, uh, for you guys who have been waiting to hear what we're reading this week, we're finishing up A Feast for Crows. We're going to be done with it after this week. We've still got a lot of Dance with Dragons left, though. But the last two chapters in A Feast for Crows are Jamie 7 and Samwell 5, and then we will turn to A Dance with Dragons where we'll read The Blind Girl, A Ghost in Winterfell, and Tyrion 10. Um, I guess I'll go to you first, Susan. Uh, do you have any just kind of initial impressions of any of these chapters before we start?
3: Well, I'll just say that I I really enjoyed this reading. I would say there's really only one of these chapters that I wasn't really you know really excited about. The rest of them I I quite
0: enjoyed. I, I agree with that. Com- yeah, I agree with that completely. I agree with that completely. Mike, anything to say before we start? I mean, they're fine within the context of the tandem read, but if I was reading if I was reading Feast for Crows and waiting five years for the next one, I would be really disappointed with Samwell as the end of a book.
4: Ah. Mm-hmm. Oh, Interesting. Goodness.
0: I mean, nice chapter, but not, in in the context of the tandem, fine. But I would have thrown it out the fucking window if I was reading that thing and knew <laughs> I was to wait five years for the next one. <laughs> you know what? And I'm sure that uh, there were some readers that felt that frustration that you did uh, as they went along. Bubba, any thoughts, sir?
2: Yeah, well, I, I love this comment. I was going to comment on it at the end of that Samwell chapter, and say that I th- I think that's a great point. I mean, the A Feast for Crows more than some of the other books. Uh, the other books, you know, have shocking things, but they kind of have a denote, you know, that kind of descending action after the big reveal. This book, you know, it left uh, Arya blind. It l- leaves Cersei in prison. It leaves. Uh, Brienne, captive of Lady Stoneheart, possibly killed. You've got uh, even things that quote unquote come to an ending, like Samwell. There's so many questions, you know, like what what is going to happen to Gilly? What is he going to start training? What what's going on there? That uh, it, it to me, it's just another reason why the tandem read is the way to go. And uh, this will never happen. But in a perfect world, George would re-release these darn things to where it's you know. It's still two books, but just find a way to have all the characters, you know, like have everything happen together and then just cut off at a point and then continue on and have the rest of the tandem read be the second book because, uh, yeah, its you wonder how people were satisfied. I i was lucky in that I read uh, Peace for Crows and then about three to four months later, Dance with Dragons came out, so I didn't have to wait too long, buddy.
0: Yeah, it's a it's a tease. Yes, it <laughs> definitely. And I, I've I've made the comment many uh, times before that with the characters involved in the Feast for Crows, I, I I don't know that if I could that well, I probably if I was obsessed with it the way I am now, I probably would have finished the book. But I don't know, I don't know if I could have or not. Um, but let's dive into a Feast for Crows with uh, Jamie Seven. Where we find Jamie within River Run, Edmure has delivered the castle as promised, but Blackfish has escaped. He meets with the former Queen of the North and her mother and confirms certain things that Sabelle that oh and confirms certain things, then tells Sabelle they will go back home to the West with taking the oh with the group taking Edmure to Casserly Rock. Gosh. I can't read, worth the crap. My eyes are freaking out. Um, making certain, Edmure and Jane are both well-guarded. He sees a traveling party, then meets with Edwin Frey and receives news about the Brotherhood and gets some information on one of Westerling's sons as well as reasserting the orders to release the hostages at the Twins. Jamie continues training with Illyn and confessing more history about him and Cersei as well as Targaryen history. As days pass, he ensures all is falling into order, and then one night has a disturbing dream. He then receives the message sent by Kyburn with Cersei's words and decides to burn the message. Susan, we haven't heard from you for a while, so why don't we give you first dibs on this chapter?
3: Okay. Um, well, I really think that a lot of interesting things came out of this chapter, and, um, you know, I enjoyed the the comedy of of his uh his aunt and uncles that continues here with uh emmin Frey and uh and his aunt jenna there and um so it's interesting that uh that we do learn about the blackfish and it does make you speculate a bit you know people really do wonder you know where has he gone to in all this is he going to uh perhaps uh catch up with the Stoneheart and and their gang? Is he headed up north? Um, You know, what could he be up to at this point in time? So I think that uh, obviously we aren't going to know the answer of any of that until the next book, which hopefully we'll get. But, uh, you know, I'm looking forward to finding out what what he's up to and uh, the fact that we do have um, Ed Muir and Jane headed to Casterly Rock and the possibility that uh maybe something is gonna is gonna happen on that on that travel that uh will be interesting to find out what's gonna go on.
0: Yeah. Absolutely. Uh we'll, uh let's go to you Mike, any thoughts sir? We haven't actually been to Casterly Rock, right? No. No except in recollections is all, yeah. Right. So we have some brief descriptions. Okay. Uh I I have a, one other question. Where is there anywhere that Brendan that Blackfish could go where he still has any juice? I mean I'm trying to figure out, like, is is just being a raider his best case
1: scenario at this point or does he have any friends left?
0: Interesting thought, no, right? I, I, I couldn't, I couldn't come up with anything.
2: Well, well, Jamie, let me say that. Remember, in the chapter, Jamie thinks that most of these river lords would protect him, like the pipers and everyone. And so, the idea could be that he just, you know, went to somebody else's castle because the river lords certainly don't like these phrases. No, who, who does? You know, he but he even also said.
0: Him. Sorry. Well, he on. also said, you know, you've got men here to protect the place, right? And so he kind of made it sound like even if he comes back, it wouldn't be with a credible threat. You know, it would be like maybe kind of as a raider. So his best case scenario at this point is just to be hidden by somebody until, I don't know what, he dies or the winds change or the dragons show up or whatever. But that's really his kind of best case scenario at this point. Is that correct?
2: Well, you know, once again, you you know, we're going into hypotheticals. But you tell yeah. me who who does the chapter remind you is there in River Run at the end? It reminds you <laughs> that oh yeah, Thomas Evans, Seven Sevenstrings is still there. And who is Thomas Sevenstrings? Well he's a member of the Brotherhood. And you would believe that the Brotherhood would be supportive of <laughs> the Tullys running River Run and not the phrase, considering who now leads the Brotherhood without banners. So right. you know, this is all speculation, but Who's to say? He even went far. Maybe maybe he's there in, you know, maybe he's there in Fair Market where all these uh you know, Freys seem to meet their ends.
0: Mm-hmm. And, and on top of that, Jamie's like running his mouth off to the seven to Tom of seven streams, really. Oh I mean, yeah. He's, he's giving away an awful lot of information and you know where you know where he's gonna run with that information. So it really kind of gives Lady Stoneheart the upper hand in that case, doesn't it?
2: It sure does. Well, I think you just have to assume, based on everything, that it was Tom o. Sevenstrings who gave up the goods that the phrase were traveling back. Mm-hmm. <laughs> and that, that's right. how the Brotherhood got him at Fair Market.
4: Exactly. Yep. Yeah. yeah.
3: yeah. I've, I've also heard people speculate that when Jamie and uh, uh, Brendan the Blackfish had that, uh, that little uh, talk there at the castle wall, that um, while the blackfish was really talking down Jon Snow, that that might have been a bit of a ruse, that you know, he could possibly be heading up north to try and uh, you know, get some help with what's going up in, on in the north, and that uh, he may actually be, have a favorable opinion of Jon and may know a little bit about Rob's plans for wanting to make him his heir.
2: No. Well, I mean, certainly, it, it, the big thing is we don't know, I and mean, this is all just speculation. But no. I, I, I think the, the, to answer Mike's question, I think, you know, if you kind of broaden your horizon, there are a lot of places you would think that the blackface might have gone.
0: It's true. Wow. It's true. Well, I, there's all hopefully a question to the banners. <laughs> <laughs> Hopefully, well, I, I guess it depends. I, I, I don't know. I wonder how, I wonder it would be interesting to see how Brendan Blackfish would, uh, w- what he would think of, of Lady Stoneheart. That would right. be interesting to me. Uh, that, would, that would be a very interesting uh, uh, conversation to see, would it not? Um, another interesting conversation in here was, of course, between uh, Lady Sabelle, or uh, Jane Westerling's mother, and, and Jamie and, and Bubba, this kind of ties up all of the letter writing, all of maybe the information about troop movements. Seems like it was uh, it was uh, the, the Lady Westerling here who was um, probably got everything done in, in the respect of getting them pardoned, doesn't it?
2: Well, Matt, you're absolutely right. But what's interesting is just as we were kind of, you know, your mind has to kind of broaden to say where could the black fish be and all his options? Just knowing the little facts we know about the Westerlings broadens people's mind, and so people are of several opinions about everything that's gone down. So one of the things that, uh, you know, Jamie right now is assuming that it's this mother, Lady Sybil Westerling, who's behind everything. Now, one of the things as a reader you would start thinking is, well, okay, the Westerlings, remember her grandmother, or sorry, Jane's grandmother was who? As Jamie describes her, she was some sort of half-mad witch woman from the East, and she was a Spicer. And then you realize, okay, wait a minute, Jane, Jane Westerling's grandmother was Maggie the Frog. And then right. you start saying, okay, well, so this woman was a witch, quote-unquote, had all these potions. And so we remember that uh, back in A Storm of Swords, when we met Jane Westerling and her family, that uh, they were, she, her mom was theoretically giving her fertility drugs so you think, well, wait, was her mom actually not giving her fertility drugs? Because in this chapter, she says she saw it to make sure that Jane didn't get pregnant. So was her mom giving her the infamous pansy or something to prevent Jane Westerling from getting pregnant? Mm -hmm. There's also the idea that, you know, if you remember in the Storm of Swords, Rob, you know, was injured and he was getting medicine. And so you wonder, well, is it possible Mm -hmm. that Lady Sybil... Westerling was actually kind of giving Rob some sort of love potion so that he fell for James, so that he would break his deal with the phrase. There's all sorts of craziness going on, and it gets even crazier that maybe we should say for the end of this chapter. But uh, definitely, in Jamie's opinion, you know, how does he say it? He goes, you know, your daughter is worth 10 of you, Miss Lady Sybil. And so uh, he is not a big fan, not a fan at all. I found Any... that really
3: interesting. Uh, if, if I could you know chime in, I found that really interesting because I could understand Jamie feeling that way about her, but the fact is that she was really his ally in all of this, and I didn't think that was very smart for him to play it that way, that he you know, led on to her how much her scheming bothered him because when it all comes down to it, the scheming was on behalf of the Lannisters.
2: Right. Well, once again, does he think that scheming? Well, you just said it. The scheming may have been in behalf of the Lannisters, been half of his father, but you know, is Jamie's own personal code? Look at that stuff and think, you know, that's too sleazy for me. That's too underhanded for me. You know, right. I'd rather is- rather attack somebody face to face than stabbing them in the back. And yes, you may be my ally, but look at the people I've allied with. I mean, Ex and Fraser is allied, but do you think he likes Fraser in any way? No.
3: But does he want to make her his enemy?
2: Well, he does. He want to make the phrase enemy. He he talks down and treats the phrase very poorly throughout this chapter, and and he treats Lady Sybil the same way. I mean, he's you know, quote unquote, you could say he's a changed man, but you would say he doesn't. You know, he's happy he won, but maybe he's not happy how he did it, and he has regret or how his side did it. You would say.
0: Yeah, it's not like Tywin was ever particularly kind to his underlings. Allies
4: right.
0: or not, yeah. he definitely yeah. learned that attitude from the best.
3: Yeah, and, and I agree with you too. But 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 in terms of Lady Sybil, I mean, it really does make you wonder how far back the the uh, the scheming went. Did it go as far as her trying to to entrap uh, Rob with Jane?
2: Oh, yeah, well, I mean, your mind can can make these kind of leaps. Uh, just as Jamie said, just as Jamie said, you know, you know your daughter is worth 10 of you or however he praises it in the chapter, he also realizes that, you know, he, you know he's like, okay, when you bring Edmure to Kasterly Lock, make sure he's protected. We'd rather have a dead Edmure than an escaped Edmure, because that could mean a lot of trouble. But then he also thinks to himself, you know, Jane Westerling. He goes, boy, if she gets away... She'd be twice as dangerous to our cause as Edmure would, because she'd be that symbol of mm-hmm. you know that the that, that of hope or resistance, however you want to call it, that would give quote unquote the enemies of the Lannisters kind of more courage, you would think. And so he specifically thinks that Jane is twice as dangerous as Edmire, which of course makes you think to yourself, yeah, J- Jane Westerling's is going to get away. <laughs>
4: <laughs>
0: <laughs> well, uh, sorry, jump what in. What you going to say, Susan? Oh, that was. Oh, no, I, just, I, was I wanted to ask for just a quick timeline check because he says, you know, she can't be married for two years uh, because if she gets pregnant, people will think it's Rob's. So, in our timeline here, how far away are we from the red wedding? Because it feels when he says that like it was two weeks ago but in the course of reading
1: it feels like it was much longer than that well this you're I'm,
2: asking a great question i don't know if there's an answer what before we even try to answer what would you what would your guess be
1: uh i'm going to say it's been long
2: enough that everybody knows about it but not so long ago that you know it's in the songs so i'm going to give it Four to six months. Yeah, that, that actually was my own thinking, too, that it was maybe like five or six months ago. Right.
0: And, I, and I think that Jamie is just taking a very conservative course with this choice of two years. Um, that way you can absolutely ensure um, that, it, that, that there can be no question, that not even crazy crackpot theorists like myself can come up with anything uh, in mm-hmm. regards to that it's mm-hmm. Rob's. Um, so... I, I commended Jamie for for making sure that it wasn't just uh, one possible pregnancy pregnancy term from where they are now, but a minimum of two. So I, I thought that that was, that was uh, I thought that that was really well played by Jamie. Mike, I want to ask you though, um, it, just because the three of us have already I've already read, um, so obviously it didn't come as a shock to us, or as a heck yeah, I thought that was going to happen to us. Um, were you su- surprised by Jamie's response to the message from Kyber? Yes. Yes, I was. Yes, I was surprised and happy about it, really, to be honest with
1: you. Because, you know, he, yeah, I thought it was great. Excellent. Excellent. What,
0: I, I mean, I know that he was, you know, I know that he was feeling a bit put out to pasture by her on his way out, but I definitely didn't expect that um,
2: strong and sour of a reaction.
0: <laughs> it was. You know, or but crazy. the other thing is, it was mentioned that maybe she, she overplayed her hand a bit as far as all the I love yous go. So, uh, you know, the first time I read it, I definitely read it as a, you know, uh, you know, him kind of, but it may be, you know that he read it and like you know I, I don't know maybe he read it and he just wanted you know he's like okay I got the information now this message will self destruct you know mm-hmm. but I don't think so I think he's
1: going to choose to ignore her to a certain extent.
0: Hmm. Yeah. Interesting. He's yeah. Already, I was he's gonna... got someplace else he has to go, right? Like he's not just done now. Yeah. Yeah. He's on his he's on his way to the the next uh, place. It would seem um uh, eventually and i uh, like you you know there there is that thought that maybe he's just destroying evidence but you you never know we'll have to see uh bubba when you first read this were you uh surprised by uh by uh, jamie's reaction
2: no just because the one thing martin uh, i wasn't because the one thing martin has done with these crazy catchphrases like tyrion's where do whores go or uh Uh, you know, Aria's, who am I? No one. With these catchphrases, he kind of hits you over the head with it. And so because Jamie throughout all these chapters is thinking about, you know, Kettleback and Moon Boy too, uh, he's becoming disillusioned more and more. And so I wasn't shocked. I thought it was interesting, though, that he had this dream of his mother right before then. And I was trying to see, or what I assumed was his mother. I guess it's a dream for everybody to interpret themselves. But it made me think. Uh, I wasn't shocked by this particular
0: move. No. Right on. And let's talk about that dream, Susan. Your thoughts about the the dream and what you thought it meant, and and uh, I I believe it was Joanna as well. Um, I'm assuming you think the same.
3: Uh, yes, I'd agree to that. And I do think that it's very interesting that she tells him it's not a dream. That he, you know, she has him look at his hands because always when he's dreaming. In his sleep, he dreams of himself as having, you know, two hands and being whole. And I think so that that makes it a little bit more of a prophetic or, you know, there's something going on here outside the realm of being a normal dream.
0: Mm Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Very interesting. Uh, Bubba, any other thoughts on this this visitation?
2: No, just that uh, it's kind of uh, the dreams are so... Uh, you know, you th- you, there's so much to read into them normally in this series. But what I also think there's a lot to read into is if you go back to the very first book, A Game of Thrones, when they're talking about Bran, he's talking about Bran with Tyrion. He's like, oh, you know, I'd rather be dead than be a cripple. And, of course, what ends up happening uh, a few books later is he loses his hand. And technically, he becomes, you know, the disadvantaged person. Mm-hmm. In this chapter he says, uh, in this chapter he's like, you know what? Please, you know, better to die in the battlefield. Don't you don't want to die in bed. And I just thought to myself, Uh oh, nice bed death for Jamie coming up.
0: <laughs> <laughs> oh, no. Oh no. Um
2: and, and Jamie shows like Jamie shows he's smart in one way where he's like, you know, ah you know, I wonder if that dire wolf is the same one that attacked wonderful Joffrey way back when but then he shows he's dumb when he's like, you know what, Littlefinger might make a good hand for Thomas. And so uh,
4: <laughs> you know, he's kind of,
0: uh, he's betting about at 500 right now. Yeah, that's true. That's true. I, I think that's something that's interesting about that vision was it, it reminded me a lot, actually, of uh, of of Quaid and, and Daenerys in the fact that there seemed to be, Again, we've talked about how these books are all uh, about identity and everything, and and Joanna, at least it seems to me to be Joanna. She she seems to try to be reminding Jamie to to kind of find who he is again, right? That he's kind of lost himself, and and that reminded me of of, of Quaithe saying basically the same thing to to Daenerys. So. Uh, I don't know if anybody wants to draw any comparisons with that or if I'm just being crackpot here.
2: No, I, I to be honest, I think it's a good idea, but I hadn't considered it, to be honest. Uh-huh. Yeah,
3: I think that's a good point. Um, I do think that, you know, there's that irony in it that uh, you know she says what uh, Tywin wanted for his children and Jamie's like, well, you know, she, Cersei is the queen and I am a knight, but Still, with the situation everything that went on, they are still people that are, are laughed at behind their backs and so forth because of all the things that have happened. Mm-hmm.
0: Mm-hmm. Uh, what else we got on this chapter, guys? I wonder, I you know, in no. in reading the, the dream, it seemed pretty clear that that was his mother, but then I wondered, I you know read it again trying to figure out if there was anything that could be gathered from yeah. that in terms of the possibility that we were discussing before, that maybe Tywin and Joanna aren't actually their parents. You know, that there was another possibility. Um, And I really couldn't see anything in there that suggested that. And in fact, the way that she talked about what Tywin actually wanted made it seem a little bit more like maybe it was
1: the way they said it was.
4: Which, of course, just
0: plays into my feeling that that Tyrion is actually the bastard child and that they are the proper children of Tywin and Joanna.
2: Okay, I just wanted to throw out that in either variation, Joanna is the mother. You know, no matter who the father was, the Mad King or Tywin, Joanna Lannister would be the mom. Right. Mm
0: Mm-hmm. Right. Yeah. Yeah, yeah, I don't think that's a a case of disputing, but... um, yeah, but I, I I see where you're going with that, Mike. It it seems like that since Joanna seems so much more in tune with uh Tywin's vision perhaps that that um it might imply that um if there is an if there is an odd child out that it might possibly be more Tyrion than Jamie or Cersei, is basically what you were getting at, right? Right.
4: Okay. Yeah. Unless
0: I mean was there anything in there that suggested something different to anyone else because I was reading specifically for that maybe I was overlooking something else No I, I I don't think there's any indication one way or the other I think it's it's pretty bland like I said for me it was much more about you know um Jamie finding his proper identity but I again I that was what I was looking for when I read it this time because of all the stuff about Danny uh, so I might have overlooked something. Um, what what else do we have in this chapter, guys?
2: I got some well, bubble points I want to throw out real quick. I would say that uh, one of the things you would want to think about uh, is that uh, there's this character, just like there's the, the infamous uh, Lannister who disappeared at the riot in King's Landing. Now we hear this story of Reynold Westerling the son who, of, of Lady Sybil who didn't realize that the Red Wedding was the thing going on and who everyone has assumed is died at the Red Wedding. But, you know, if you, don't see a, if you don't see a body, if you don't see a headless westerling, you think maybe he survived. He took some arrows trying to defend a gray wind and went into the river, so maybe he's still out there. Uh, this background character we've been following for several books, Raft the Sweetling, is off to Maidenpool, and we need to keep track of him and where he's going on this crazy thing. And then just once again, these phrase are, these phrase since the Red Wedding, I'm not sure their life has been that great. A bunch of them are dead, more died at fair market. and yet uh, they're, they're just as likely to blame each other rather than uh, the brotherhood and the outlaws. So a lot is going on.
0: Yeah, I thought that was a great point to make about uh, the 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 infighting. How uh, one of them thinks it was his brother, right? Because it would make it right. easier for him to be an error, and, and and it's even presented in the chapter. It's like it's like, but he's all the way over here, you know. <laughs> I just I was just like, oh man, these phrase, they are paranoid guys. They really are. Not paranoid enough, evidently, though. That's <laughs> good boy. <laughs> um. What else we got on this chapter? Susan, were you going to say something? Or Mike? Somebody was going to say yeah. something.
3: Yeah, I had a couple things to add. I, uh, I think uh, the, the fact that uh, Jamie is telling the phrase that uh, they're going to have to release all the hostages from the Red Wedding is a critical point. Um, because that's going to leave a lot of uh, people that the phrase right now have a little bit of a holdover. That's going to open that up for them. Mm-hmm. So, um, you know, if think about the circumstances there, and uh, and I'm glad that uh, Bubba brought up Reynolds Westerling, because, you know, I was thinking about that, too. I mean, he really, he they, they said he got shot a couple of times, but, you know, he, he, the fact that he went into the river, I mean, he came from an area where he lived by the sea, so he could likely have been a fairly strong swimmer. And as far as the Westerlings are concerned, he seemed like he was pretty loyal to Jamie, or to Jamie. To Rob, he was the one who uh, who cut gray, gray Wind loose when they were trying to to uh, kill the direwolf. So it would be interesting if he's still out there somewhere. And uh, the last thing I think I had was that uh, strong boar guy that was with uh, Jamie uh, is wanting to head off back to to Derry. And uh, he is just, you know, he's wanting to to get some glory for himself. So he's saying, you know, he either wants to go capture the Hound or Dondarrion. And, uh, uh, you know, with the discussion on the the Hound and the Quiet Isle, I think, you know, the conclusion that you all uh, have come to pretty clearly where he is. And as far as Dondarrion, that got me thinking, I wonder what happened to his body. You know, because Jamie was real adamant about, you know, if you go after Dondarrion, you know, we need to, to kill him publicly so that people will actually believe he's dead. And uh, knowing that, you know, he did give that kiss to of life to Lady Stoneheart and then died. I I, I wonder, just makes me wonder, I guess I would assume it being with the the uh, red priest that they would have burned him. But, uh, you know, I don't think we ever heard anything about that.
0: No, I don't guess we have. I don't think we have. I don't, no. Yeah. Good point. Good point. So uh another one of uh like uh Bubba said, Jamie's batting about three hundred right now. <laughs> yeah.
2: Yeah, his his average keeps going down. His point.
0: average keeps going down. Uh Mike, you were gonna say something, sir? Uh no. Oh, okay. I thought you were yeah, I thought you had another point. Sorry. Um anything else on the on this Jamie chapter then?
2: Well it's snowing winter has come, you know, uh, we've been through all these books and we've been waiting for winter to come. If it's snowing in the Riverlands, uh, you know, winter's here, right?
0: Well, one would think unless it's autumn's kiss just, uh, with an extremely long tongue. Oh,
4: right. uh,
3: <laughs> you know what? Actually, I do have, uh, another, uh, point I hear. I, I uh, that the two people that Rappaportly was taking to Maidenpool. I think it's interesting that these two uh, gentlemen from the that were real loyal to the Tullies, their master at arms and their captain of guards, have decided that they want to take the black. So again, you have a couple of people that are heading to the wall that could be interesting allies for John, or certainly bearers of, of a lot of news to him.
0: That's true. That's true. Boy, they're going to have to go through a lot of snow. Just think about what's (laughs) happening at Winterfell right now. They'd be lucky if they get to the wall before winter's over. Um, Uh, Does anyone else have a sense that the only reason why Raph is still even being brought up is so it's satisfying when Arya gets to kill him later? (laughs) (laughs) Because I was reading that like, this guy again, uh, uh, you know, but then I was like, oh, no, but it's going to be great when she sticks needle to his eyeball. Well, let's, let's talk about totally had. differently about him. Well, let's, I'm let's still confused. How many people
2: is Arya actually, how many people on her list is she actually taking care of?
1: Hmm. Hmm.
2: And we have to do a little separating between the T V and the and the books.
4: Right, right. But
2: has she actually in the books gotten anybody on her list?
0: No, they've been gotten by other people, right? I mean a couple of them right. did, but not at her hand. Yeah, I think right. that's I think that's true. Yeah, I think you're right. Uh, if only I, Darian would have been on our list and then we could see what she does to the list afterwards. Like does he well, go yeah, away? She, yeah.
2: Yeah, she should modify the list. She should be like, "Oh, he was totally on the list." <laughs> was Paul
3: Oliver? Paul Oliver, who so she got the needle back from, was he on our
2: list? Well, see, once again, I, are we sure that's not the TV show? I'm so confused. Well,
0: I, 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 I know she well, right on Oliver
2: on the TV show.
0: Well, right. I don't think she. What was it? The hound? Yeah, you're right. That was yeah. at the. Uh, that was at the tavern, wasn't it? Where the hound got hurt really bad, right? and and I can't remember which of the two of them killed Oliver in that. Well, it was Hound, because that was what was so, that was one of those moments when yeah, it was so right. sweet about being a book reader who's watching the show, you know, which I didn't have that moment in its actual happening, but that moment, you know, that was one thing that the book readers talked about, is that was a much more satisfying way to finish that character, to have her do it was so much more satisfying in the show, you know, than it was in the books. So that, right. you know, really stood out uh, to me. Right, right. So technically, though, that would mean that there's still nobody on, on her list that she has killed. But interestingly enough, if Raft the Sweetling is headed to Maidenpool, is that mm-hmm. not a port? Maidenpool's yes. a fort, right? So maybe he's hit. maybe there is a chance that they could cross paths over in Essos somewhere. It's got to be. Why else are we still talking about him? There's no other reason to still be talking. <laughs> he's about your favorite him.
2: character. Why, why are you dissing Raph this week? Like? <laughs> Sorry,
0: whistling. all
4: those Raph fans out there.
0: Yeah, He's, he's unstraightening, Bubba. We have to let people yeah. understand that. Under Joffrey, and of course everybody is under Joffrey, but under Joffrey comes people like uh, just, just, just under, not, not, well, I mean, just under for Joffrey is like years and years and mountains and mountains and mountains of height. But uh, Rafa Sweetling definitely is, is one of those seconds, right?
2: Right. And I can't, believe, I can't believe Mike's like, why are we still talking about him? There are like 100 people named in every. Chapter, you know, she he, he he's got to keep using some people. <laughs>
0: Solid <laughs> point. Uh, are we ready to wrap Jamie up, guys? Yeah. Do
4: you, do you guys
2: feel and Mike? I, I guess you're the one. Is this a satisfying conclusion to Jamie's
0: storyline of a feast for crows? He no. Uh, Okay,
2: well, that It is, that's it just, is satisfying that that. in that
0: there has clearly been an evolution, uh, but, you know, and he's very businesslike throughout this. You know, he gets a little snarky with a few people, but, I mean, he's taking care of business, you know, and that is a satisfying in the sense that, you know, it was, but it's only satisfying because the, the next chapter is, like, in my bag waiting for me to pull it out. Otherwise, I would have been very upset.
4: Yeah,
0: yeah, gotcha. Well, let's move on to Samwell 5, the end of A Feast for Crows. The cinnamon wind finally arrives in Old Town after encountering Ironborn, getting an update from a captain of a ship in service of the Reach, and Sam resolving himself about where to send Gilly. He goes to the Citadel, and while awaiting being presented to the Seneschal, meets Alaris. Who converses with him about Citadel politics, Maester Aemon and Sam's mission. Hearing the story, Alaris takes Sam to Archmaester Marwyn, where he finds a dragon, cla- dragon glass candle burning and retells his tale. Marwyn gives a history of the Citadel regarding dragons and then tells them he will go to Daenerys in Aemon's stead. Sam is given quarters and instructions and seemingly will stay at the Citadel. With the help of
1: Kate? Bubba, go.
2: All right. Well, before we really get into the meat of this chapter, let's have an infamous Bubba question. We're going to start with Mike, and then, Mike, if you don't know, we'll go to Matt. And Matt, if you don't know, we'll go to everybody. Everybody should get this, but there's a special, most minor shout out to Liness Hightower in this chapter. And what is special about this character is they don't even refer to her by name, but mm-hmm. Liness Hightower is mentioned in this chapter and what is so special about her, Mike? I don't know, next. All right, Matt, what is special about her? I don't know,
1: next.
3: <laughs> She's uh, more ador- uh, Dora Mormon's wife.
4: Right. Oh, or uh, ex-wife or
3: whatever. And she's
4: over right. in
2: uh It's in Leith now? Right. Okay. So the high towers are like, we need help defending us. And this one half tower guy says, yeah, one of our brothers went and saw our sister, the whore, in Leith, And, of course, right. who was their sister, the whore? Their sister, the whore, used to be married to a guy named Jorah Mormont. And she had real rich taste. And so he went broke trying to get, you know, trying to pay for her rich taste. And then he sold some uh, poachers to slavers and had to run with her to Essos. And then in Essos, she dumped him because she ended up finding a rich guy in lease who she ended up liking better. And so sure enough, Jorah Mormont's ex-wife gets a shout out in this chapter. Is this a sign we'll be seeing her more? You know, like, is she going to be our next POV chapter? I don't know. Let's (laughs) be honest. Who knows? But it's real funny how how you can be on other sides of the world and relate talking about people who shouldn't have any relation, but this little si- this little line here. Once again, they don't even mention her name. Can tie some of this back. You see how small the world really is that it can tie some back to our boy Joram Warmund. Mm-hmm.
4: There you
0: go, Mike. You were you said that it, you would. At the end of this chapter, you would have thrown this book across the room if there had been more to read. Now, I would do things for like Tyrion's drowning or the red wedding. You know, I have I have a hard copy of Dance with Dragons, and I damn near threw the book uh, when uh, I thought Tyrion had drowned, but um, I was fooled, obviously. It, it, sit down on Dr. Phil's couch here and and tell us (laughs) what you're thinking about this chapter, or, you know, if there is something that gives the chapter hope, whatever you want to say. Well, I mean, it's a great chapter in context, you know, with as not the last chapter to what is supposed to be an exciting book. uh, It's great. You know, it's just the fact of it being the end that just felt very unsatisfying and you know, it's a little weird, because somehow the guy at the top of the chain, the top of the uh, the neck chain, is somehow the one who isn't the bad guy. It just seemed weird. You know, he finally gets there, and it's like this. there's this little handful of two or three people who are staring into the dragon glass and really know what's going on. And the rest of the maesters somehow, the rest of Old Town somehow... It's not even necessarily that they're presented as corrupted. They're just kind of presented as having a different philosophy. So I found it really weird that we get to this character who is exciting, who welcomes in Sam, you know, that we all want for his mission to be successful. You know, there's some extra gravitas to it because he's bringing the words of Maester Aemon, who is the oldest person in the entire world at that point. So there's all of these kind of like heavy things happening with it. But it's kind of I feel like sitting on a pretty thin on a pretty thin sheet of ice just because I don't really understand how this guy is running the place but everybody else. You, somehow he's on a different page from everybody else. So it it was exciting to read, but on reflection it got a little went a little sour for me. Did it make you appreciate the prologue more? What happens in the prologue? Oh, crap. Now I've got to go back to the beginning. <laughs> <Hold on. laughs> remind me of the prologue. In the well, prologue... Then... Oh, go yeah,
2: ahead, Bob. Well, I was going to say, this chapter, it just keeps doing callbacks to the prologue. One of the first ones is, sure enough, Alaris here, the uh, acolyte from the from the prologue. We meet uh, him again. We talk about Archmaester Maywin. We meet L- Leo Tyrrell again. And Leo Terrell, when we first see him in this, he's staring into the candle like he's Melisandre. I mean, all sorts of crazy stuff. And, of course, it ends, the quote-unquote big cliffhanger ending, is we see Pate. But we know Pate's dead. And we know Pate was killed, theoretically, by Jack and Hagar. And so is this person that Samwell's talking to at the end Jack and Hagar? And the answer has to be yes.
4: I love that.
3: I think Uh, especially because if you remember from Pate talking in the beginning, you know, his his internal monologue, he hated being referred to as the pig boy, which apparently there's this series of books or something that uh, the small people, these uh, folk stories or whatever that people know about this character, Pate the pig boy. And so he hated that reference and he calls himself that at the very end. So you think, well, if he was really Pate, he wouldn't have said that.
0: Exactly. Exactly. Um, let me ask, uh, Bubba, do you, do you want to guide Mike through a little more math here?
2: Uh, well, there's a lot more. Uh, yeah. The, you know, the beginning chapter talk kept talking about how Pate was working or uh, under Archmaster Walgrave. And here he gets name-checked again and all this stuff. And so it just, it just seemingly never ends. But there is a bit of math I think we can do. And it's, let's be honest, it's tricky. You have to tie so much together. But, you know, Sam meets Alaris from the prologue. And she says, you know, I'm Hilaris. Some people call Sphinx. And Sam says what Master Raymond told him. He's like, ah, the Sphinx is the riddle, not the riddler. So what is the, if the sphinx is the riddle, what's the answer to the riddle?
1: That she's not Alaris,
3: but Sorella? Exactly
2: right. Exactly right. Explain it, Susan. That's the, that's the answer to the riddle.
3: Yeah. Uh, the, that she is actually the undercover uh, youngest sand snake, or the, not the youngest sand snake. There's. There's eight sand snakes, but they're kind of the oldest four have four different mothers, and then the younger four uh, were was from um, the red vipers. Paramore,
5: Alaria, yeah, Alaria,
3: yeah, who he was with, you know, for obviously a fairly significant amount of time. So um, Sorella is the youngest of the older four, and she was not in Dorn, and um, so in, in. in I guess you all covered that chapter, the watcher uh where uh, Doran says you know to, to you know leave her to to her game yeah,
0: yeah, that's and, the but, ding ding ding, yeah, yeah, absolutely, and
2: now we know that her game was that as a woman you couldn't go to the you couldn't attend the citadel, so she just flipped her name around instead of. Uh, her name being Sorella, she suddenly became Alaris and went to the Citadel. Now, what is her goal? Does she have a bigger goal other than as a woman wanting to attend? That's an interesting question. But uh, this life young boy is actually a woman. So, George, you tricky, tricky guy.
3: (laughs) And each one of the sand snakes seemed to have inherited certain skills or interests from their father, and and the fact is that uh, the Red Vipers spent some time at the Citadel um, studying, so, and in uh, the Arianne chapter, in, in, I think, both of her chapters, uh, there was a little bit of reference to Sorella that talked about her inquisitiveness, and she was, like, always in the way, asking questions and things like that
0: and another thing that you got to really enjoy is the fact that um you know the, the the this alliance with with uh that has allegedly been made between Oberon and Martell and and uh and De- Derry uh for me i mean obviously there is a need to learn more about dragons and and who is a, a Solara with She's with the group Mm -hmm. that's talking. The only group at the Citadel that's talking about dragons, right? So Mm -hmm. uh, um, that's that's an interesting little piece there, too. Mike, uh, I'm assuming that you got all of that math when you read it. So uh, were you uh, shocked uh, by it? (laughs) That's a big assumption. I was never very good at math. Uh, (laughs) I didn't pick up the sand snake thing. It is pretty shocking. It's kind of awesome. So you're okay. So. Let me let me just catch up here. Do a little bit of homework. So, Pate is dead and was killed by Jackin. And so now we are led to believe that Jackin has face shifted himself to become Pate and is posted up at Old Town. That's where we're at now, as far as that goes, right? Yep. Yeah. Mhm. Oh, that's so good. I wish I was better at math. <laughs> <laughs> you know what? when you get to the end of Feast for Crows, uh, especially with the, with the whole tandem read, so there's lots more chapters in between. That's why I said, did it make you rethink about the prologue? And, and as soon as you said, what happened in the prologue? I'm like, yeah, that's the way I was, too. <laughs> I was exactly <laughs> like that. you know, Because it, we, had a, we had a discussion uh, about the books overall with Bubba here and with Ken from Cripples, Bastards, and Broken Things. And when Bubba brought up this thing about Solara, uh, or Sorella, I was totally flabbergasted. I, I completely missed it. It had totally gone over my head, and I'd read through everything, you know. <laughs> and I was just like, whoa, wait a minute. And I had to go back and reread, and, and the whole thing about Jack and Agar seemed a little more obvious to me. But I, still, I mean, the, the, the minutiae in this book is incredible. Uh, and I guess as somebody who's really detail-oriented, um, Despite what everybody might think, as someone who's really detail oriented, uh, I really appreciated that. Uh, so there you go, Cal. There's my whole endorsement of George R. R. Martin for the, for the week. Can, can um, I
2: throw out another question? I'm going to throw out another question that there may not be an answer to, and I certainly don't have my own thought on it. But Archmaster Maywin, you know, he's talking about uh, the glass candle. And, you know, it can show what's happening a world away. It can enter a man's dreams and give him visions. And I was trying to think to myself, do we know anybody or does anybody want to <laughs> assume that there's a vision that's been given that Archmaster May Marwin planted on anybody?
1: Or many visions.
2: Well, um, well you got I one,
4: vision. Was-
3: well, what I actually, what I was thinking, and I was wanting to talk about exactly what you're talking about, but my point of it was going to be, who have we seen use this already in the books besides Marwin? Because I think it's pretty clear, after you read his description, uh, which I have here, the sorcerers of the freehold could see across mountains uh deserts uh and seas and enter a man's dream and give him visions you know exactly what what you were just saying who do we know that's done that
1: have
2: well, you who are you getting at
3: yeah quite i i think it's pretty clear that when you think about her uh appearances with Danny and how she says you know she's not really there, and if other people came into the room they wouldn't see her. I I think it's pretty clear that she must be using a glass candle to to
0: do that. She even makes a reference that glass candles are burning uh, in one of her words to uh, Daenerys. So I don't know if that was meant to be a warning about Marwyn or if if she's basically saying that she's able to do the same. Um, But it's interesting that she brings it up herself. For sure, yeah. and I, yeah. that would have been that. You know, when when you when you said, uh, "Who do we know that's been doing that?" Um, Quake does definitely fit the bill, Susan. I totally agree with you. Now, yeah. the question is, is it actually Quaid or is it Marlin?
1: Ooh, <laughs> well, that's scary.
2: Uh now we're going to need some stronger drugs to figure this out.
0: <laughs> hey, I'm. I got a lot of pots over here. I can crack them all day yeah, okay. long. Uh, I, I
3: tend to think it was Quaith just because we did actually meet Quace I mean, Danny did meet her. I mean, so she was, uh, you know, like a real person, uh, not just like you know someone that's been made up. So and and had that uh, relationship with Danny. So I kind of tend to think it was her. But it just it, after I read that passage. Was when I really thought that must be how that's happening. That so she's able to to uh, have these visitations with Danny.
0: I totally agreed, Bubba. You said you had, had. Well, I guess first we ought to ask Mike any thought on 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 what we've been talking about.
4: Yeah, yeah. I mean, I think
0: <clears throat> if it was Merlin, he wouldn't have acted so kind of surprised or happy about it when Sam got there, right? No. Ah, good point. Good point. Excellent. Bubba, did you have a thought on uh, where you were going with this point?
2: No, I just, I just thought it'd be more. Uh, I don't know. What I say blatant and brutal. Who might have been using this power? And yeah, Quayth jumps to mind. But I was thinking, so many people in these books have had strange dreams or strange visions. You know, mm-hmm. that I, I thought it could be even more terrible, you know, like the things were planting in somebody's head. I mean, call me crazy, but didn't Rhaegar, good old Prince Rhaegar, have visions and stuff in his head? It? They have uh-huh. been planted there. But then maybe they couldn't be planted there. Maybe these glass candles weren't working until the old dragons came back. Ugh, so difficult to figure out. Uh, and that I say is- yeah, sorry, Go.
0: Oh I was gonna say, and that is the interesting question. I mean, evidently, um I don't the citadel makes it sound like that the glass candles have been used as a traditional thing for acolytes to graduate for a long time, right?
2: Right, yeah, but it's something that to prove that they don't work.
0: Oh, that's right. To prove that they don't work. And now they're working because of dragons, I guess.
2: Possibly, you assume.
0: Okay, because dragons are magic in this world. <laughs> so that, 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 bring, that, that, that does bring, again, that the whole thing that we've questioned, um, does this solidify it for us anymore? If, if the dragons had not been born, um, it seemingly the White Walkers returned slightly before the dragons were born. So what is the source of magic coming back into this world?
2: Do you finish that sentence? <laughs> answer that I, question. That's a great question, but what, what is the answer?
0: Yeah, that's the, well, that's why I'm asking the question, because I don't have the answer. Uh, huh. Mike does, though.
2: Oh, good. All right, Mike, sucker, false. <laughs> Give us an answer.
0: Uh, I'm going to yeah. go with uh, – I'm going to go with uh, – I, I got nothing. <laughs> Yeah. That that is the answer. That is the answer. I got nothing, right? Unless you, <laughs> because Bubba and I managed to bail out. But uh Susan's got the answer, I know.
3: No, I don't think so.
0: <laughs> <laughs> I might uh, have the answer
3: for Quaid's visitations. I have the answer for that now, but I don't have the answer for magic.
0: All right, all right. But
4: other okay, the ahead, point
0: Mike. that you make that the you know, that the White Walkers came back slightly before the dragons suggests that it may be something other even than the dragons, something that would have given rise to the possibility of the dragons themselves as opposed to the dragons being the source.
4: Mm
0: -hmm. Mm-hmm.
2: Yeah, I want people... People need to give credit to the White Walkers for bringing back the dragons.
0: Great point. (laughs) Exactly, (laughs) exactly. I can tell you what, this whole story is actually just revelation, and and this is, uh, you know... All of these things are in motion just to wipe out all of humanity in Westeros. Mm-hmm. That's what's happening.
2: It's doing a good job.
0: Yeah, it's not quite fast enough because for every character we kill, we get 200 more mentioned in a book. Um,
3: <laughs> Baba, did you have a vision specifically that you thought had maybe been caused by this or you thought that Marwyn might have, have planted?
2: Well, you know what? I, I'm sorry. I, I don't feel confident enough in any of them. But what I was going to say is that Marwin hints that it was the maesters who killed the dragons. He's like, eh, what do you think got rid of the dragons? And mm-hmm. so could the maesters have used the glass candles in a way to, you know, get these dragons off the planet, these and get rid of all this magic, because the maesters have been using magic to get rid of magic. And so, mm-hmm. I don't know. It's, it's, there are too many... We don't know enough, and we've only had two chapters in Old Town, so, of course, Martin doesn't want us to know enough.
4: Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. What else we and got now, like,
0: uh, It seems like the possibility that Eamon passing away, you know, the fact that he was mentioned as being the oldest person uh, in the realm... It seems like him passing away may mark, you know, sort of an end of an era. Um you know, could be used to kind of mark the end of an era, as in he came up in an era when the Maesters had one goal and maybe his his existence in passing marks kind of the uh,
2: the moving on of that era of old town.
4: He doesn't know because he didn't do it.
2: Could um, could Martin be even more obnoxious by, he's always talked about how weirwoods aren't south of the neck because uh, the Andals cut them all down. Well, sure enough, here's another ancient weirwood here on the Isle of Ravens. Here you go, Bran. Here's another way to get involved in this storyline.
0: Bran, 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 Bran. I see Bran <laughs> everywhere. Bran, few <laughs> red leaves rustling. Ravens are quirking. Uh, and quirking is in italics. I mean, it's brand. It's all brand. Brand's already there. Brand is brand is following Sam around. He knows Sam. Yeah. So you know, Brand Brand's taking taking care of his own man. Bran is there, baby.
3: Good. Hopefully, he'll warn him about Pate.
4: <laughs>
0: so yeah, we're gonna have we're gonna have a a a. a uh, Raven Court, Dad, Dad, Dad. <laughs> <laughs>
4: but, but,
2: but, Susan, I want to jump up in on this. Warn him about Pate. Jack, and Hagar. Uh-huh. At least according uh-huh. to the second book, was like a good guy. Why? Why are uh, we now suddenly fearful of Jack and Hagar?
3: Because I'm fearful about him because Sam got a bad has a bad feeling about him.
2: Well, so oh, good just, grief.
3: When has Sam
2: ever been right about
3: anything? I'm I'm a big Sam fan. I think, and I, you know, here's here's a little bit of my feeling about Sam. I think that um, he's obviously, because Martin loved um, uh, Tolkien so much, you know, he's the, the, his Samwell Tarly is a little bit of a homage to Samwell Gamgee. And I think that, you know, in that story where that Sam played such a critical role as the faithful friend and assistant to, to Frodo, and he was critical in what happened at the end. I mean, Frodo wouldn't have been able to do it without Sam. And I kind of think there's a little bit of that. Sam may be there to play a critical role in the end for John. I kind of, that's kind of my thought. Now, Martin might not take it in that direction. I don't know, but that's just kind of my my feeling about it.
4: So Damn
2: uh, I am. I'm going to be tough here. How is Sam, who's now in Old Town, the farthest you could get from the wall, and it took him a whole book to get down here?
4: How in the world <laughs> do you,
2: him you him. even assume Sam's going to get back up to where all the action is? He's got there only there's there two books left. Oh, <laughs> <better>. you
4: know <laughs> he's, he's going with- to
2: keep. He's going to take a glass candle and say, is it okay if I get busy with Gilly, John? And John's like, you
4: know,
2: I'm busy, Sam. Call me later. He's going to be yeah, like, right. sat, got- satin, satin. If this jerk calls a kid, tell him I'm busy.
4: I, I,
0: I'm, just, I'm just still trying to dismiss the thought of John and Snow. Oh, my <laughs> Uh, but no, the, Samwise, Tarly, yes, absolutely. Now I agree with you, Susan. I I think that uh, Sam does have a bigger role to play, obviously. Um, otherwise, yeah. why in the world would we be following him?
4: <laughs>
3: yeah, and and, and and you know, he he he's he's a lot smarter than than he he uh, allows for himself either. I thought it was pretty. Uh, uh, wise of him to know that uh you know his father is little loved in old town you know i mean sam isn't been around his father in this area i mean that just kind of to me it shows he's a little bit more savvy about what's going on uh and the politics of things and you know he kind of you know leads people to believe i think he you know if he were more confident in himself he's a smart
0: guy so hopefully that'll grow. Hopefully so. Hopefully so. Yeah. Hey Bubba, I got a question for you, sir. Sure, um, I fell asleep didn't...
2: with all this talk about Sam.
0: Well, I I, <laughs> I, I wanna I wanna rate it back into something that you love even more. Okay. And good. That would be good. uh Tyrion and everything. You know, you've brought up the no, whole no. thing about the the, the uh the Selicori, or Celosauric Corin uh translating to to the uh to the perfume Cinechell Right, And we haven't met the Seneschal yet, but doesn't it tie in loosely, again, I'll just say, you know, because I'm cracking pots here today. Um, we haven't met this Seneschal here at, the, uh, at Old Town yet, but is it possible because of what we heard about the possibility of maesters trying to kill dragons and everything, that the Seneschal at Old Town could be the one that Daenerys needs to avoid or beware? Well, yeah.
2: Uh, listen, I'm not going to say no, but pick a different word that means the same thing. And that <laughs> is, and, that, and the only reason for that is, is that in Quaith's infamous prophecy, Quaith, Quaith's magical journey in the glass candle, she listed all the people who would be coming to Daenerys. And one of the people that she listed, and I'm trying to bring it up right now, I apologize seems to fit our boy Marwin perfectly. And so why would she say, you know, it almost feels like uh, we get the point. Why would we then, why would she say, oh, beware the perfume Seneschal, plus there's this other guy coming. and So let me say here. She says, uh, okay, so she says, soon comes the pale mare She says, the glass candles are burning. Soon comes the pale mare. After her, the others. Kraken and dark flame. Okay, so we can assume who the Kraken and the dark flame were. Lion and Griffin, the sun's sun, and the mummer's dragon. Remember the undying. Beware the perfume, all. So, you know what? Maybe you're right. Maybe perfume. I don't remember anybody talking about how Marwyn smelled, but sure. Why not? (laughs)
0: <laughs> well, I don't think that Marwin is obviously not the Cineshell. Um yeah. and Marwin seems to be much more pro-dragon. Then that's what I'm saying. I'm saying it's it's Marwin's not the one to be worried about uh, because I don't I don't yeah I don't put I don't put the perfume CynoShell amongst the people that are coming. You know what I'm saying? I'm, and and since it is the very last thing in her words. It would be the very last thing to happen, perhaps after Danny gets to Westeros. Oh,
2: okay. Well, well, the thing about Marwyn is for a guy who we really finally meet for the first time, he's been mentioned as far back as Game of Thrones. And that is good mm-hmm. old Miri Mazdor told Daenerys. She's like, you know, I've been taught by a lot of people, including one of your Westerosi who taught me about human anatomy. He was a master named Marwyn. Hello. Mm-hmm.
3: That's that's what makes me wonder what Danny's reception to him is going to be. If she puts two and two together and figures out that this is the same person that Mary Mazdor was talking about, would that automatically color her, you know, color him in a negative manner for her?
0: Mike, are you shocked that we talk more about Daenerys in a chapter about (laughs) Sam? than we ever talk about Daenerys in a chapter about Daenerys. <laughs> I mean, finally she's getting interesting.
4: <laughs>
0: <laughs> it just takes people from who aren't there speculating about her to make it interesting. <laughs> uh, I
4: wanna
3: know what's going on on top of the old on top of the tower, the high tower, with the mm-hmm. the uh you know, Lord Hightower and his mad daughter.
0: Mad maid.
2: Well, it feels like we have heard about them, you know, when when there was a plague here in Old Town that the guy was like, I'm just going to lock myself up here and and be safe. And so you wonder if this is just the same thing. You know, okay, let the the ironborn come and destroy everything. Screw it. I'm going to hide up here in the tower.
0: Well, at least it defeats the thought that I had that Lord Leighton was dead a long time ago.
2: Yeah. Oh. Well. Yeah, who knows? Maybe. Maybe he's still dead, and the mad. You know, the mad maid is just like. Uh, he's up here hanging with me. You guys take care of it. Yeah.
0: <laughs> okay, but in all of this conversation, no one has yet explained my first question, which is how a guy who seems to be out of step with the rest of Old Town. Somehow seems to be the boss
3: i have... believe, uh, i'll I can explain that I think uh, the reason that he's called an arch archmaster is because they have the different uh areas of study, and each area of study has an archmaster over it, and Marwan is the archmaster over the higher mysteries or the study of magic, so he's, the so only he's not like the
0: boss of the whole joint. He's just kind no. of the, the dean right. of his school. Exactly. Right. The seneschal, the seneschal, is the boss. He is elected by all of the other archmaesters, or chosen among all of the other archmaesters, to run the place. Uh, the grandmaster is Pycelle. Allegedly, he is, I guess, if not uh, in charge, at least he delivers everything to the maesters of, as to what's coming from the realm, because essentially the maesters are um, so what, the shell is the one that Sam never got to meet, that Alaris took him away from. Right. So he gets to be kind of mysterious and not really on board with everybody else because he's the magic guy. So he's just kind of naturally a little bit weirder than everybody else. And, and that's kind of gets away with it. I mean, it seems to me that Marwin's click is really pretty small. Um, mm. he, he, does, he, does, he. it doesn't seem to me that he has a great deal of, of, of power over everybody. I mean, everybody talks about him because well, he's weird. But, uh, <laughs> uh, you know, I mean, all of these other maesters are telling you yeah, magic, whatever. And, and, and then you have this guy off doing weird things with lights glowing and, and strange things happening. So I, I take it to, to the fact that Marlon really politically – isn't as strong as, as maybe we're giving him credit for. I, I think it, he's just got a, a, a click of a few believers that, that are hanging with him, right? That makes a lot
4: yeah. of
3: sense. Yeah. yeah. I don't know how many different areas of study there are. I'm sure somewhere that information is. But but for each of them, so you, you got to figure that he has his equivalent and there's another archmaester over the study of finances and another one over uh, medicine and another one over you know whatever so that's just
2: right.
3: he's their equal
2: right yeah but it is sorry I'm going to jump in a bit is Marwyn right that the Archmaesters would have killed Maester Aemon and killed Sam if they heard him talking about dragons and magic
3: I
4: guess yeah. that's is-
3: that, that would have to be answered on how far you would believe this conspiracy about that the Archmaesters are trying to have this control over uh, knowledge and information and have it all be from a rational viewpoint and that they would go so far as to, to you know, take those kind of actions or that they would have taken actions to get rid of the dragons.
0: Yeah. If we're looking at allegory or perhaps even applicability, I I mean, come on, essentially the masters are the Catholic Church, right? Mhm. Yeah. So, um it, putting it in that context, <laughs> I'm about to I'm about to really make some people angry, so just sit <laughs> with me here. Um, you know, with all of the scandals that we've seen the Catholic Church in in the last few years, um for many years, and the cover-up, which had to be orchestrated, I'm sorry, but it had to be, in my personal opinion, um, then I don't, see, I don't see any reason to doubt that if, if George is using applicability or allegory in this case, that we should think that Sam or, or uh, Eamon would have been killed. Bubba? I mean, that's just my thought about it.
2: Pope Francis, I respect your privacy and your beliefs. You can follow me on Twitter at Fit and Trim. That's (laughs) F-I-T-T-E-N-T-R-I.
0: And and Pope Francis, please follow Lena Headey at IM. Right,
2: yeah, please. Give her some space, Pope. All right, so, uh, you know, we haven't talked much about the character I consider ridiculously boring, Sam. The Sam sales class, this place called Three Towers. And is this the towers that Melisandre saw by the sea that are going to get swept up by the ocean? Uh, uh,
0: I like that. Yeah. Hm. That makes that makes a lot of sense. Mike?
1: Sounds good to me. <laughs> I mean, got...
0: except that she would be right about something.
1: Right, it'd be nice. <laughs> Well, they haven't
0: burned up yet, so maybe she, maybe she won't be right about that part, right?
3: And um, Matt, well, I think that you can see um, relations between like the Catholic Church and the Maesters. I also think that Martin was wanting to use the faith of the Seven as a close uh, kind of allegory to the to the Catholic Church as well. So he, so he could maybe think of the Maesters is more of just the idea of this very—you um, know—they—they want to look at at facts and at um, scientific explanations for the way everything goes. And if something is going to be outside the realm of of the way that they can prove things, then they don't—they don't, they don't want to go there in their way of thinking.
0: Oh my God, Susan! Are you saying that the Maesters? Or an allegory to Ivy League schools? Is that what you're saying? <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah,
3: I'm thinking that might be a little closer. And then, and then <laughs> think of think of the the sparrow, you know, and uh, his his elk, with a little bit closer to
4: the Catholic Church.
0: Okay, that's fair enough. Uh, and uh, I I have nothing against Princeton, Harvard, any of those great, fantastic <laughs> universities. Oh, I just was making the joke. Uh, what else we got, Bubba? Anybody? Mike? Susan? Anybody?
2: Well, what do you guys think Sam should do with Gilly? It seems to me like he should send her to the on the first plan to Hor- High Horn or whatever his his family keep is there. It it certainly seems far enough his way. His dad's not there. I think that's the good plan. Get rid of Gilly.
4: Mm,
0: I think it's a good plan. I just don't think it's going to happen. I mean, Sam no. comes in. Sam, wait, wait a minute! Sam leaves Gilly on a boat. Says, "I'll be back." Right? Uh, he goes to Oldtown. He gets whisked away to this guy, Marwyn guy, who says, "I'm leaving. I'm going. I'm going on a boat to Essos." I don't know if Gilly's ever getting on the Wester- on the Westeros again.
2: Oh, Marwyn's gonna see Gilly, and he's gonna go. All right, hot wilding. Let's oh, take a he's-
0: boat cruise <laughs> to Taylor's Bay. He's just gonna—he's just gonna take the same boat. He's just gonna take the same boat, and Gilly's not gonna. She's gonna. Yeah. Sam told me no, the No,
2: he's—he's gonna see Gilly, and he goes. That's gonna be another chain in my link, if you know what I'm saying.
0: Oh, I was not gonna go there. Darn it! Darn it! Glass <laughs> candles are burning now. Um. Yeah. Uh, I just don't think. I—I I wonder if Gilly's ever gonna set foot on Westeros ever again.
2: Good riddance.
0: Oh. What else
4: we got? Goodbye, Feast for Crows. Goodbye. Goodbye, Feast for Crows.
0: Goodbye, Feast for Crows. Uh, (laughs) But a character from A Feast for Crows is in our next Dance with with Dragons chapter, the Blind Girl. Of course, Arya is the Blind Girl, and we join her waking up from wolf dreams and saying her morning prayer. Then she denies to herself that it's even her prayer. She instead goes by blind Beth. She breaks her fast with a kindly man who asks her the routine questions of the day. She recalls her experiences and lessons as a blind girl. Then she goes through her routine of finding new corpses within the House of Black and White, stripping them of their possessions and being attacked by someone. She recalls her time as Cat and why she has been made blind. As the Waif helps her into Beth's disguise, she recalls Winterfell. After a night at Pinto's establishment, she relays to the kindly man what she has learned about Lysini pirates and wildlings from Hardhome, and she reveals to the kindly man that she knows he is her attacker. The next day, she awakens, able to see. Mike, what do you got, brother? Man, I like this one a lot, and I thought this is a really great example of uh, you know, how world building works and the way that he described her being blind and uh, learning how to use her other senses and, and oh, I'm snowstorm all of a sudden yeah uh i muted her go ahead um i just you know i thought this was a good example of how to talk about all of these different things the way that she learns how to use her different senses and you know this idea of the training i thought this is a really great example of of her training i enjoyed this chapter quite a bit and i think the thing that i liked the most about it was the the advanced warging you know or the the growing ability to go into other things the whole chapter star to me i felt like that was what this chapter was really about more than anything else because it starts with her having the wolf dreams and finishes with her bringing a set of eyes back to the, back to the house of black and white. Um, and I'm really excited by that notion. And it was one of those things where I was starting to feel a little bit, uh, Matt like in that between this chapter and the next one, I was spending as much time thinking about brand as I was about what was actually happening. Uh-oh. Brand, brand, brand everywhere. Brand everywhere. <laughs> I'll tell you what, Little Miss Arya has got to be a champion warger. She's warging all the way to Westeros in her dreams. I don't know what the ranges of these things are, but uh, like we've talked about before, uh, if Bran is more powerful, then yeah, of course he could be at uh, Old Town, especially with he's got, he's got help now with the tree network and all of that stuff. Um, but the fact that she adapted to the cat really quickly, that was a really nice surprise for me. I love Arya in this chapter. Bubba, what do you got, brother? Oh, I just want
2: to echo what both you guys have been saying. The fact that at the end of the chapter she totally smacks this uh, poorly named kindly man and whacks him with her stick and that she had warped into the cat. That is a great moment. That's that's kind of a wonderful once again a kind of a great uh great kind of journey she's been on as she's been learning where in A Feast for Crows it ends with on this big cliffhanger of her being blind, which uh, I mentioned on a couple of podcasts ago I wasn't so fond of. But you mentioned her being a great warg. What does she re what is she what is she has experienced as a warg, Matt? She's experienced her direwolf eating human flesh. What is going on with these Starks?
0: Mm, they're all doing all the abominations that Verimir talked about, right?
2: Every one of the Starks abominations.
0: They're surly. They're they're double S's, Bubba. Okay, they're double you. S's, truly. <laughs> Susan, any thoughts on any of this?
3: Uh, I love this chapter too, and one of the things I think is the most interesting is what she learns about those Lyseni ships that uh, they had uh, been up to Hardhome and uh, picked up Wildings, and then because of you know here I think this is an excellent example of the repercussions of things happening in different parts of this world, you have uh, with uh, Danny's effect on the slaves, uh, the whole world of slavery that there's been a, a real problem in the slave markets for getting slaves. So they found these wildings as a uh, wonderful opportunity to uh, to cash in and you know, she overhears these guys talking about they're probably going to be you know, sending a lot of ships up there. And I wonder how all of that's going to play out with the things that are happening up there with, at Hard Home.
0: Very interesting thing. We'll have to see if if we get any more information. I, I like to tie in as well, uh, thinking about Solidar uh, Sands Fleet as well, because uh, we know that a couple of ships were stranded up there by storms, right? Um, mm-hmm. And Bubba, I'm, I'm going to ask you to speculate. Gosh, sure. I, I, hate, I hate to ask people to speculate. You know me, Mr. Crackpot. I hate this, but we get... It was, Arya mentions that the... And I'm really going on an issue here, but Arya mentions that the Sea Lord is sick, or Blind Bath mentions that the Sea Lord right. is sick. Do we think that this is the same Sea Lord that signed off with the Martell Dairy Pack? And if so, um, the, the last real... I mean, other than what uh, Doran knows and what Quentin's holding in his hand... Is this the last guy that could, uh, that could actually know about this? That's a lie. That's
2: what I think. That's what I think. I think, you know, you've got to make it perfect. You've got to make it, you know, as perfect as possible so that this, this quote-unquote pact is completely meaningless and pointless. And So you've got to kill off all the witnesses.
0: <laughs> that's what I was thinking, too. That's exactly what I was thinking. Your next point, Thanks. sir.
2: Oh well, I was going to say that uh, you know to follow up on the, the on this hard home stuff is that Mother Mole's prophecy, you know, it, it came true in a way. These, what she said, that hard home wildlings would be picked up and carried across the sea, to safety, and uh, they weren't really picked up to safety so much as this kind of storm led them to safety of Bravos. I would say that last week we talked about George R. R. Martin's original plan for Game of Thrones. One of the things he always planted was for some love between Arya and Jon Snow. And here in this chapter, she remembers, my dad called me pretty. He was the only one. Wait. And Jon Snow, too. Mm, Smooch, 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 smooch. Are you ready to ship these two like you should? (laughs) Like George wants you to. Well,
0: If R plus L equals J is true, and I think most of us can, can... can safely say that at least from our viewpoint, it is at least cousins aren't as bad, right?
2: <laughs> no, it's hot. Good point, Matt. You've, you're hot. You find them yeah. hot couple. That's good. Yeah, I,
0: <laughs> I, I think I think they're awesome. Yeah, I yeah I'm shipping Arya and Jon Snow. Never. Um, what? <laughs> Mike, what would you got, brother? Uh, I uh, I you know was do you think that the kindly man really doesn't know how she knows who he is because she says you know like that was three there's no need for me to tell him four Mm -hmm. right as in how and if he gets to have secrets then so do i you know but i have a very hard time believing that she has any secrets from him I guess a cat could hide in the house of black and white, but can anything really hide in the in the house of black and white? Do you think that he doesn't know? I think the fact that she gets her eyes back the next day, you know, cause I read it and I was initially like, yeah, you might think so. But then when she got her eyes back the next day, that definitely made me feel like he knows somehow. Mm-hmm Mm mm-hmm yeah that's definitely a possibility at at least he knows um he's realized the futility of the exercise at that point that's for sure
2: i I have to Hmm. be honest i i had no i i assumed he didn't know and Hmm. he thought she had known some other way like she had picked up on some sense you know maybe his smell or something and so uh, i didn't pick up that he knew she had warging ability i think he would have I wonder how he would have reacted to that. But maybe he did. I, I just didn't pick it up that way.
0: Well, do you, does he know who she is? I mean, does he truly know who she is?
2: He knows she's... Yeah. That's a good point. He knows she's a Stark. Yeah, he knows she's already Stark.
0: Yeah. Um, And given that faceless men are gathering information all the time, seemingly, I I, I wouldn't... It wouldn't... Just, surprised me that he would put two and two together. He's heard stories about Stark's warging, like Rob and, and such, that uh, that he would put it together. But, uh, there's no evidence given in the chapter uh, specifically to that point. That's for sure. So, I, I I don't know. Susan, what do you think? Does The Kindly Man know?
3: I had never taken it that way, but I think Micah's a good point. I Could be. I mean, because why did they decide to give her her eyes back? Was it because they felt that she'd learned everything that they expected her to at that point or you know, I, I don't know.
0: Yeah. What about the milk itself that's been making her blind? Does anybody relate that to what Robin's been getting? Nah. The light the light hurting his eyes and all that stuff. Hmm.
2: Matt, hmm. I had not but maybe you've nailed it, maybe Robin Aaron is a
4: faceless man. Oh, wait
0: a minute. No, 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 no. And no, no, no. that <laughs> the waif is much better at mixing her poisons than uh, Meister Coleman, as you suspect. Right.
1: They, but also we'll, say, they also say that, you know, they they make
0: everybody blind, but it would have been another six months. So do you think that was because she is kind of clicking through her training faster than most people or do you think that was a punishment because that was how we or at least i kind of took it initially uh was that it was a punishment you know Mm -hmm. and even tilt her you know we we give the gift but we don't play you know we don't make the decision
4: right
0: um you know which kind of builds that notion that it's a punishment but it could it just be that she's that she's making her way through the training and picking things up so fast that they kind of moved on with it in a way to uh, kind of keep her close at hand. Mm. Mm. I see. Now, I always kind of looked at her making him making her blind, and I think I brought this up in the podcast when we talked about it. I always kind of looked at it as a graduation, not necessarily a punishment. Um, which would suggest he, that she's just learning faster than everybody else. Right, or the yeah. average person, or well, yeah, or anybody that he's trained uh, relatively, I guess. Uh, but and I do agree that the fact that she made the choice, she was definitely scolded over. But I don't, I never saw the blindness as a punishment. I just saw it as the next step because she showed that she was capable of killing.
1: Mm-hmm. I don't know. Am I wrong,
4: Bubba? I'm always uh,
1: wrong,
2: it. Yeah.
0: But- yeah, okay.
2: Yeah, I like for you to figure that out yourself, so I find it better. You you learn more when you realize you're wrong. So
0: Okay. <laughs> yeah, absolutely. Well, Susan knows I'm wrong. Susan's constantly correcting me. So uh let's move uh what else we got on this chapter? Let, uh, Susan, uh how about a point from you?
1: Um Well
3: This is not totally related to it. it related to the idea of her uh, relationship with the cats. There, you know, the, you know, they knew who she was and everything. They weren't fooled by her disguise. And going back to the first book and her relationship with the cats, you know, running around there. That one black cat back at Heron Hall That back at Hall, back at Harrenhal. Back at King's Landing. That always gets brought up. That big old black cat. Is anyone right. ever has, has anyone ever put together the idea that that was probably uh that little Targaryen princess's cat? The one that got killed? I know this is mostly related to the chapter but the cats was reminding me of this. That that big black cat that uh is always causing trouble and so forth. The uh Princess Rainey's one of the, the two children that um were killed when they uh, had the the coup and took over during robert's rebellion she had a black kitten named uh valerian and um it's always been my feeling that this is this was supposed to be that cat that was still there and um it it, it obviously is probably being warged into by some of the things that it does whether it's bran or or blood raven or or whatever but uh i always thought that connection was was uh was kind of funny, and especially because it always seemed to go after the Lannisters.
2: That's for sure. And uh, people – I don't know if we've on the podcast mentioned this, but that is a theory. Plenty of people have that. Yeah. So Sorry, um, not,
3: no, we'll have to – off the topic there, but um, – Oh, now you're, you're <laughs> but now you're making me
0: see Bran in this chapter, too. Thanks. Now you're making me see Bran in a cat – Way back in the Game of Thrones,
4: for crying out loud. Bran, <laughs> Bran,
0: Bran. He's my new Marsha, uh-huh. Marsha, Marsha.
4: Um, yeah.
0: And I can't believe Harold doesn't like Bran. Look, Bran is all over this book, all of the interesting parts. Harold, come on, man. Um, anyway. Uh, good. Now, all right, I, now I thought, I'm going to crack a pot and say Bran is the, fo- is the foundation of the magic. That's what it is. Bran was born, and then come the dragons and the White Walkers.
1: Oh, my. That seems really speculative.
0: speculative. Actually, that, that, that's beautiful. I'm taking that ball and running with it, Mike. That's awesome. That's awesome. I, I like it. That means Bubba hates it, right? <laughs>
2: no, 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 no. Uh, yes. But anyway. <laughs>
4: <laughs> what do you got, Bubba?
2: Uh, well, just no, I think we've covered the chapter pretty well. I think we're all happy that Arya is, has her sight back. I think it's interesting that one of the small little details I thought was interesting was her first trip where he's like, tell me things. And she tells him that the whore is pregnant, and she thinks it's by a Tairoshi sword. And the kindly man says, ah, this is good to know. I'm like, uh, that's good to know? Why, 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 do, why do you care? And so uh, are they collecting blackmail material? I, I didn't get it. I'm also, you know, nothing against the, this poorly adjective kindly man. But uh, I don't see why he's such a good guy. You know, he's like, oh, who let you decide who you kill? Well, you know what? She did. She's the judge, jury, and executioner. And so far, I've followed her for five books, and she makes more sense than you do, buddy. So I'm good with it.
0: <laughs> yeah, well... <laughs> I think the kindly man is just stupid, but
4: does anybody
0: oh, wow. have, uh, does anybody have uh, uh, any uh, good things to say about the kindly man?
2: Not me.
3: Hmm. I also was trying to figure out why that was good information to know. I was trying to think, do we know this person? Are we supposed to somehow know who this person was that got killed and what the significance of this person being pregnant is?
0: Kind of a standardized uh, answer, though, isn't it? It's kind of like this, you know, the, the, it's kind of like Tom and putting seals on pieces of paper.
3: Yeah. So there's so many clues in this book. You're always trying to figure out whether this little bit of information is supposed to mean something more than what it is.
0: That's true. Definitely true. I know Mike's got something nice to say about the kindly man, right? He's, uh, he's looking out for Arya. He's trying to raise uh, a hard and capable woman in a cruel world. So I'm, I'm still on the kindly man's side, right up until the point that Arya kills him. Then I don't care about him anymore. Good. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> well, don't read ahead,
2: Mike. You're, you shouldn't yeah, be reading don't, ahead.
0: Don't read ahead. Uh, <laughs> I, I will say this: Cal's just going to love me this week. I loved beating him ahead of a blind person. I thought that was really well laid out. Oh. In terms of description and everything, and and um, I, I I enjoyed that. Um, good 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 writing, and this chapter was exciting and um, lots of fun. Any other thoughts on this chapter, guys? It it it
2: what, I wonder if this wasn't the tandem read. If other people would think what I was, and that is, we're five hundred and ninety-three pages into this book. And then suddenly Aria appears. It is kind of a, a bizarre jolt to suddenly have the timeline sync back up.
0: That is a great point. That is a great point because um, you know if 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 you especially by the fact that um, some of the characters I think that we'll see as POVs in the rest of this read aren't necessarily given their names, like this one, the blind girl. Uh, obviously, if you'd read Feast, you would probably remember who the blind girl is. But nonetheless, um, y- y having gone along through all of Feast and only gotten a certain number of characters, I'm sure the expectation was that you weren't going to get any of those characters in this book. And it was it was a it was nice to have everything sync back up for me. Um, Mike, how about you? Yeah, and that actually answers the question that I couldn't figure out, which is why she's referred to specifically as Arya Stark like four times in this chapter. It just seemed a little bit like, you know, she mentions it even when I was, even, you know, back when I was. um, And then they actually list, I think, twice, you know, at least once, all of the names that she had, you know, Cat of the Canals and working her way back. Um, And to that actually, I hadn't put that together, but... It certainly makes
1: that make a lot more sense. George does his
0: he does his his, his cover my a's pretty well. <laughs> Let's move on to a ghost in Winterfell, shall we? Let's do it. As the snows continue, a death inspires speculation about Stannis within Reek slash Theon's hearing. He is approached by one of the washerwomen for information, but he refuses. Deaths continue, and excuses are made. He overhears a conversation between Wyman Manderly and Hostine Frey about the missing phrase, which almost results in a fight. Then stables collapse, and Yellow Dick is killed. Wow. He then finds himself accused of the killings in front of Lord Bolton, Lady Dustin, Roger Weiswell, and Anis Frey, but is absolved when he is asked to present his hands as evidence to Ramsay's torture. Accusations fly of who else might be killing the men as Theon leaves. Then warhorns war sound as it seems Stannis has arrived. Theon hears his name whispered at the heart tree and sees Bran's face. Bran, Bran, Bran. People are going to get as annoyed by that as they do. Dum, dum, dum. Uh, then he is taken by the washerwomen to present his story to Abel. Okay, so the first thing that I want to say in this particular chapter is that for me, and I know this is again minutiae so we'll get back to broader points here in a second, but we had an email a while back, I think from Harold about the discussion as to whether Theon is actually a eunuch or not. And this is the line that always sealed the deal for me is that Theon pulled his gloves off and held his hands up for them to see. It's not as if I stand before them naked. It's not so bad as that. again, It's a little vague, but the fact that he's showing flayed hands uh, makes me think that he's thinking about injuries to his lower extremities, and that's why I say that there is evidence in this book that uh, George has placed that says that Theon is, is in fact, uh, junkless now. And that's my my little thing, Harold, and I'll move on to Susan for a point about this chapter.
3: (laughs) Uh, I, I agree with what you're saying there. Matt, I think, although it's never said directly, I think that the bulk of evidence throughout the chapters does show that for Theon. Uh, I'll jump right into, I think, one of the very interesting uh, mysteries of this chapter is who is the man that Theon encounters in the snow that he doesn't seem to know who the guy is. He thinks for a minute that he, that the man might even be going to kill him at that moment, but he shows him his fingers, and, and the guy calls him turn cloak, and he laughs at him and ends up leaving him alone. But who is this guy?
2: Well, Susan, some people, believe it or not, have speculated that it was the Blackfish.
3: Yeah, I've, I've heard that. But I don't know if there's any evidence to it.
2: No, I don't think so either. It seems unlikely in this crazy snowstorm that if this tandem read is lined up correctly, which we can't say mm-hmm. that for sure, how in the world he could have gotten up there in this snow and everything. hmm yeah. Right. But who else could it be? Do you hear other guesses or other speculation? i
3: um,
1: trying to think. I know, I know how I, I have...
2: Heard at least one. Because um. a lot of people say that it's very interesting that he calls him Theon Turncloak, Theon Kinslayer. And what exactly mm-hmm. people speculate? Well, what kin did Theon kill? And people say, mm-hmm. well, you know, he we know that he fooled around with the with the with the Miller's wife, and then he ended up killing the two Millers. Uh, boys, the Miller's wife's kids, to make them look mm-hmm. like Brandon Rickon. And so people are mm-hmm. saying, did Theon actually kill his own kids? You know, there's almost no way to prove it, but it's real interesting that someone does call him Kinslayer. Right.
4: right. I thought
2: it was Hodor.
0: I thought it was oh, Bran. Oh boy, oh. Bran, Bran, awesome. Bran. And <laughs> Hodor. Uh, yeah. And the way that nobody thinks it's Hodor is because he's
1: extremely well-spoken. <laughs> That is that would
4: throw a lot of people off.
0: He's also walking around <laughs> on his knees. Yeah. Yeah. Hell yeah. That. <laughs> uh, but yeah, uh, Brand, Brand, Brand. No wind yet. The leaves rustle, and he sees his face. Now, wait a minute. Sees his face too. Come on, Brand is getting super powerful. We have to assume that this yeah. is Brand at a much further point in the future, don't we? Do we? I mean, I this I think that's the most interesting thing in this entire chapter. Is I think that it's a further suggestion. You know, we've talked about Bran and his growing powers, and and you know my feeling like he's going to end up warging the dragons, and that's going to be how this whole thing resolves itself. I think Bran is going to be you know because we've been told that you can't speak through the tree. Uh, but I don't know, man. I think maybe he's just better at it than everybody else has been or has been for a long time. I think he's going to end up talking to Ned. I think he can definitely talk to Theon. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. I, I think that he definitely will be able to do that at some point too, uh, whether it's a cat meowing or a raven corking or something. He's going to have a full conversation with somebody from where he is someday. It's just a question of when. Um but Mike, you aren't intrigued by the mystery of who might be outside the walls with the horn. Sure. Is it, is it, is it Stannis? Could he have possibly gotten through all of that snow? No way. (laughs) I don't know. That seems impossible, but there is a line in the chapter where one of the guys says he could be camped five feet away with a hundred thousand men and we wouldn't be able to see him. Um, you know, so that was the thing that suggested to me that it, could actually be Stannis, other than the fact that just who else could it be? Who else would be anywhere near there? It's not guys
1: from the wall. It's not, I mean, who could it be? Who
0: could it be? I'm going to say this, too, also, and then I'll turn it over to you, Bubba. Iron Lances, that darn tune. Something bad happens in a chapter, and not necessarily bad for our beloved characters or for the characters we're supposed to care about. But something bad always happens when iron lances is sung. Able Amen. You, to and, you know, the, think about the Harvest Feast piece in Clash. That was right before Theon took Winterfell. It, ha- it was sung at the Red Wedding in Storm of Swords. Uh, it was sung before the storm that Sam fa- found, found out about the baby switch uh, on the boat. And, and then of course they had the big same. Also, Maester Eamon was out on the deck, and I think that's where he caught the chill that ultimately bit him in. Uh, and now you've got all this fighting going on, infighting, and uh, seemingly a threat from the outside, and Iron Lances has been sung. I'm telling you, Iron Lances is George's way of telling you, oh, look out, something's going to happen here, or something, you know, feel, feel a little bit of peril for somebody. One more <laughs> <minute>. That's, that's <laughs> That's what I think. That's what I think. But I don't know. I could be wrong. Brother, what I you think got?
2: it's good. I think it's got a good beat and I like the answer to it. I think it's happy
0: too. <laughs> <laughs> what you got, brother?
2: Well, I was going to say that uh, I know people, you guys seem to be fascinated with Bran. Brand, sure, if he's in this chapter and his communication is powerful and strong. But what I really like, I got to be honest, I love just the growing tension in this. I love that reek looks at Bruce bolton and sees he goes you know Roose bolton is trying to hold this castle and it's all falling apart and he looks like me when i tried to hold this castle all those years ago or who knows at this point maybe only all those months ago i mean we got a fray losing an ear to frostbite a fray squire found uh you know he's dead and i'm just like good you know i want manderley you know who's so quippy? He's like, "Oh, sure, I'll follow you out in the snow." Phrase. Everybody's smart enough to realize, yeah, you stab me in the back. I think it's great. And and even though I really enjoy the chapter, I got to be honest, I, I get a bit sad. And we need to pour one out for Yellow Dick. Yellow Dick, <laughs> we hardly knew ya. You, you know. <laughs> Amen. Yeah, yeah. I, who's I doing all too. the killings? There's too
1: many suspects. It's definitely Good.
3: ratcheting up the tension.
2: Oh, I love it. Good.
0: That's a great question. Who is killing all of these people? And I mean, it's I
3: think that's a got the
0: singer.
2: W- the singer and his women. His women. He gets the women to seduce these guys, and then goodbye, cock, yellow dick. And we're gonna stick mm. it and stick your frozen member in your mouth. Ouch.
0: That's brutal. Yeah, I'm, I'm going to guess there'll be no speculative letters from Harold on that one. <laughs> <laughs> what have we got on this chapter, guys? Anybody?
3: Oh, uh, I like Bubba's re- remark about uh, Dion seeing Bruce Bolton looking like him. I mean, he does—he does think back to the fact that to when he had uh, when, uh you know, the, all, all the deaths that were happening to the, his men. At that time, those people were getting picked out. So I think he was one responsible for a lot of that.
2: Yeah, I, I just think it's great in how how this place is just a powder keg ready to go off. Matt, you mentioned the people outside with the drums. There are people dying inside. Suddenly you're in a room where you got to – the only room where you can keep the horses and dogs are the same room where you eat. I mean, this is great. What I also think is great is that uh, Reek, you know, he has been so brainwashed, and he even can't admit it to himself. But when he's going up on the battlement, he's trying to think out an escape. You know, he's like, you know, I could jump off here. And sure, he tells himself out of it. But he's, like, down with it. He's like, huh, you know, I could jump out of it. Oh, they, you know, he'd catch me and all this stuff. But he keeps going up there thinking to, be, thinking to himself, how am I going to get out of this? And sure enough, he figures out what we kind of figured out in the last chapter, and that is, is that Abel and his washerwomen, A.K.A. possible assassins, are want to know how Theam got in so they can get out. That seems to be the exact right thing.
0: Mhm. Yep. yep. Absolutely. So, uh, so they're plotting their cut and run strategy. All right. Um. So very interesting there. Cut. Um,
2: and run. Well done, Matt. Well, I just wanted to, let's just stop for one moment
4: and give you a shout out on that. <laughs> Cut and run. Well done. Yeah.
0: Matt. Yeah. I, got them, I got them once in a while, every once in a while. What else we got on this chapter, guys?
2: Well, I was going to say, who's better to, you know, who's better to be going through this craziness with than the one person who can kind of shake off dead people left and right? You know, Zion. God bless him. You know, he can tell that this guy's head has been bashed in by a club and not it wasn't kicked by a horse or something. But he's so nuts, nobody's going to listen to him. Nobody even, you know, he could be the one killing him, but everybody looks at his fingers and they're like, nah, it can't be this idiot. And so uh, I think it's great that Reek slash Theon slash the ghost of Winterfell is our point of view chapter on this. Uh, Point of view character, excuse me.
0: Yeah, that's great. Yeah, because he can see everything from both sides of that equation. So, absolutely.
3: I didn't remember who else uh, I've heard rumors about that man, that strange man being, is possibly a Glover, Robert Glover. And they're doing oh. some Who? Recogn- Let's
0: see. Now, he was the one that freed... Davos, right? And took him to Mandarin? Yeah,
3: yes. Mm. I guess my question would be: Would if he have been with Rob back when Theon was, so that Theon would have known him or not? Would I, I would be I guess what I would want to know because Theon obviously didn't right. know this person.
0: Right, right. Interesting. But,
3: it does seem that you know whoever this person is, they they're not supposed to be there. I mean, it, it seems like in in the meeting, like they're there under cover of some sort.
1: Seem that way. Yeah.
2: Well, this whole I mean, there, once again, I called it a powder keg, but I think that this situation would have felt is just a lot of trouble. They've got trouble, theoretically, on the outside, if that Stannis out there drumming. They've got trouble on the inside because none of these guys seem to agree and get along. Uh, it's it's exactly the kind of tension that should be in every chapter, but we did just read a Samwell chapter, so sadly it's not in every chapter.
0: Uh,
4: <laughs> <laughs>
2: now, and
0: obviously, this satisfies you, Bubba, but I, I right. have to ask you, I mean, you think about it from poor Bruce Bolton's perspective. I mean, the guy oh, takes care point. of himself. He, he gets his son married, gets him in a nice place to live. He leeches himself to make sure he's nice and, and, and healthy. I mean, what what you got against Bruce Bolton, man?
2: Listen, that is a great, great point. You know, he's trying to live the high life. But, you know, it all goes back to your first decision. As he says, he's beginning to rue the day he raped Ramsey's mother. And Ramsey is the cause of all the trouble. Ramsey's the reason why, you
4: know, the, the
2: Hornwood people don't like him. Ram, Nobody likes Ramsey. And so uh, this is a good thing to say here to all the fathers out there. You know, if your sons cause any trouble, just disinherit them. You know, go the other way. Don't make them legitimate. Make them illegitimate. And so it's a good lesson for us all to learn.
0: Thanks, George. Live the unlegitimized life, right?
3: Right. Yeah. Yeah. Ruth was trying to play down these deaths and keep things a little yeah. calmer while Ramsey's going around uh spreading the the news of uh of Yellow Dick because he's he's mad. It was one of his guys that got taken out.
0: Yes, but doesn't that just show you guys that Ramsey actually cares about his people? He cares <laughs> about Reek. He Cares about Yellow Dick. Well, what do we got against Ramsey? Okay, you know he he, he helps expo- he helps exfoliate some people once in a while. But I, it, you know, that's good skincare. You need a good exfoliation every once in a while. I mean, come on, what's wrong with these people? Okay, I'm I'm done trying to be Bubba. Uh, uh, sorry.
2: No, it's, it's you've got, you're doing a good job defending those Bolts.
0: <laughs> I hate the Boltons, by the way, just for the record. Yeah. How do
2: you feel about the phrase? because they, they're not doing too well either. Like I said, I think a guy loses yeah. an ear, the squire's dead. The phrase must wonder, uh, once again, it's like things never get better. This should be great for the phrase, because they've got river run, but they're dropping, they're being killed left and right. They're
4: eating mm-hmm. their own
2: relatives. I mean, you know, it's it's just hard
0: for anybody. There's nowhere on the continent they can escape, you no. know? Yeah. Uh, it, it, I, I mean, I guess we haven't heard too much about anything happening at the Twins specifically, but anytime the phrase "step away from there, man," they're they're tar- They got targets on their back, which is sure you know, do. That's it, great. Uh, that that's great. Uh, uh, I guess compensation for us readers when we had to suffer the Red Wedding to at least see them starting to suffer, right?
2: And mm-hmm. suffer, and suffer, and suffer. Yeah, Sir Hosting,
3: uh When uh, they're having that, when he's having that discussion with Manderley about uh, going out in the snow with them, he he brings up, "Where are my relatives again?"
0: Yeah, yeah. We are. We know where they are.
2: They're in everybody's right. tummy.
0: They're in the privy, right? <laughs> yeah, they're in the privy by now. Yeah, exactly. Yeah, yeah. They passed through. Um, definitely. <laughs> uh, anything else on this chapter, guys?
3: It'll be great to see what happens next.
2: Yeah, when Mance Mance gets together with Reek, all hell's going to break loose. You can tell it.
0: (laughs) Absolutely. Uh, Let's move on to Tyrion 10. Tyrion finds himself and Penny being being bid for at an auction in Slaver's Bay. They are sold to a very large man whose name I can't say, so we'll just call him Lord Yellowbelly. They are orientated by the Overseer nurse and witness Jorah's auction, Tyrion recalling with the ship when the ship was boarded and the news he'd heard of Daenerys. Tyrion gets the Overseer to convince Lord Yellowbelly to buy Jorah. Tyrion observes everything on the way to the camp, including what happens to the slaves when they run. All are fitted with collars, and Tyrion and Penny are cleaned up for performance and introduced to some fellow slaves. They perform, then serve their masters and leaders at the Yunkai, oh, and the leaders of the Yunkai host. Tyrion is challenged to to a match of savas by Bramben Plum, which Tyrion wins repeatedly. He is told by Nurse that because of their performance, they will be taken to Marine to perform in the fighting pits during the peace signing. Mike, go. Uh, unfortunately, that's exactly what I have to do. I hate to do this, but I have 20 minutes to finish up 30 minutes worth of work. Uh, so I'm going to have to listen to the email on the, uh, on the podcast later this week. But to put it brief, I would just say that, uh, my chapter listings for this week are going to be, I think, uh, Aria and then Theon and then Jamie and then Samwell and then four or five chapters that don't exist, and Tyrion is going to be, like, number 10 uh, in, in my order for this week. So all right. uh, it was fine, um, but, you know, I'm glad that it didn't finish off one of these books because I would have thrown it out the window. <laughs> wow. And Mike brings it all around beautifully again. You can listen to him bring it all around about the... Captain Punishment Adventure Hour, about the many uh, movies that he's working on. Mike, tell him how. Uh, Fifth Column Film, Twitter, at Fifth Column Film. Uh, And you'll see me talking about mostly Game of Thrones this week. So now I'm going to finish up my work and then immediately start reading next week's chapters because this is the part of the week when I get to do that. I stay up way too late Monday night after reading these things to finish reading next week's chapters because I'm so excited about it. And somehow that's not happening less as we get closer to the end. So, Wow. Excellent. All right. Well, Mike, thanks for joining us here again at Fifth Column Film on Twitter, and uh, we'll hopefully have you back next time.
4: Absolutely. Thanks a lot, guys. Talk to you later.
0: Bubba,
2: go. All right, well, I'm going to go on a slightly bizarre tangent that I'm not sure we've talked about too much so far. But uh, I, like Mike, I've loved all these chapters except this one. But what's interesting is this one is the one we might see in the TV show. Uh, There has been someone cast as Yazan, a.k.a. the uh, slave owner who buys Tyrion and Jorah. And sure enough, uh, the actor doesn't look all that fat but I wonder if this is the one that will be the closest on TV show, even though we haven't heard about a Brown-Ben Plum being cast. Now, Brown-Ben is the one earlier in the chapter who kept trying to buy Tyrion, and you think it's because, yes, he understands who Tyrion is. And then what would Brown-Ben Plum want to do with Tyrion? Would he want to take him back to Westeros and sell him to Cersei? Would he just want to have him as a hostage, it's interesting to think about. But uh, we don't get an answer in this chapter. And because we don't get some answers, and it is just kind of a bridge from point A to point B, it feels like, this chapter is a little tough. What did you guys think?
0: Well, let me ask you a little bit about Brown Plan. You, you asked sure. if you would want to take uh, Tyrion back to Cersei. Isn't there a, a, a kind of a... Didn't he tell a story back in Storm of Swords about the the plums losing lands and stuff.
2: Oh yeah, that's right. You know he 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 makes the infamous joke always about how his dad must have had a very long uh you know member for lack of a better word because he has to be at least six feet long because he was uh, his father the plum side was dead before, by the time uh, his line got branched off. And so, are you implying that if he sells Tyrion back, he could get that land that he always wanted?
0: That would seem to be, you know, given what Cersei's uh, original mandate was, it would seem to fit Brown Ben's liking. Yeah, for
4: sure. Yeah.
0: I don't know. Susan, any thought on that?
3: I wouldn't want to trust Brown Ben (laughs) if I were Tyrion. Though, you know, I do think it's interesting. He thinks he could probably turn him. And we know he's pretty wily. I'm sure he stood a good chance at doing something like that, but still, I I, I think it's better for him that it worked out this way.
0: Yeah, and even his his first bet for the Savas game was for Tyrion himself. I mean, he wants Tyrion bad for some reason. Mm. Obviously, mm-hmm. in this chapter, so um, that's interesting. Uh, Jora, poor Jora, too, oh, too late. Oh boy, just too late. Let's pour one out for Jora. Is in a Jora needs to be have a, a Lysseni sex slave on his lap right now poor guy he's been <laughs> eaten he, he is he found out that his the love of his life is already married too late jora too late i feel bad for jora in this chapter and there's really not that much there for him but uh, i felt very emotionally connected to poor jora well, you I feel
2: bad you feel bad for him i feel bad for the show if he's got to be part of their act you know that part's going to be weak you know like <laughs> I, I think Freddy the Pig is probably a better performer at this point than Sir Depressed Jorah.
0: Yeah, poor Jorah. He's not going to make a great bear, that's for sure, no, uh, oh, other, no. other than the hair on his back. Darn it. And the he husband? even got
2: a
3: tattoo on his face, too, didn't he? The slave tattoo they put on him?
2: Oh, yeah. Well, that probably made him look better, remember? Jorah's kind of, unlike the TV show, he's supposed to be kind of a, you know, not the most handsome man, and so... Yeah, he's just, can it get any worse for Jorah? Well, obviously, yes. Anytime you think it can get any worse on these shows, it gets worse. But
0: oh, Wait a minute, though. Wait a minute. This is awesome because of that tattoo thing. He's a slave now. That might win Daenerys's heart easier than him being Jorah.
2: Oh, that is a great, no, that is a great point. She liked Drogo, huh? and Drogo kind of dressed funny. She likes Dario, and he's got blue beards, for God's sakes. <laughs> Sure. Maybe she likes guys Guys with tattoos. That's a great well,
0: and, and Daenerys will just do anything for a slave where she wouldn't do something for just Jorah. Oh,
2: good Her, point, Matt. Love Very good. Very good point.
0: There's hope. There's <laughs> hope at the end of the tunnel. There's also hope at the end of the tunnel. Uh, like you mentioned, Bubba, it, it, it looks like we're going to possibly see it on the show, where Tyrion and Daenerys are in the same place. Uh, with this with this show at the fighting pits coming, um, I, I mean, Tyr- it's hard for us to to talk about speculation now because we've all read these things. But um, does it give you hope that that maybe part of this Maroney's knot is starting to become untied?
2: You would hope so. Let's be honest. As the first time reader, Tyrion has spent this entire long, thick book on his way to meet Daenerys, and now theoretically he's got a way to meet her. So yes, finally we're going to get some resolution to this. Thank God.
0: One way or another, yep. For sure. Susan, what you got on this chapter?
3: Uh, I also agree that it is the weakest of the chapters that we read this week. It was not a favorite for me. Uh, I enjoyed the the sideass game. Sideass. I think that they should bring that out on the market instead of
1: Monopoly. <laughs> yeah,
2: yeah. Uh, how do you think I, Penny is dealing with all these these changes?
4: Uh,
0: well, my I, next my next question was going to be: Do we care how Penny is uh, dealing with all these uh, changes? Uh, I, I'm I'm sorry, but. Penny is kind of one of those story points for me that is um, has allowed George to fill some pages, in my opinion. Hey know. The one, well, this is the one, uh, and I understand that it's about Tyrion. Again, I'll go back to the whole identity thing. It's about Tyrion finding his identity and, and the fact that he resents a lot of the things about the way about Penny's attitude and the and the uh, because he's always lived, he's always thought of himself as better. Than the the way the rest of the world perceives them, and and Penny, of course, is the uh, exact opposite of that, and so that that's a nice identity struggle to go along with the theme of that. But I've got to say, um, you know, Penny dealing with all of this stuff is out of a place of naivete, and it's out of a place of uh, of I don't know, just just youth that I'm just really not identifying with this this whole book so far. There, I, I said it so. Uh, somebody, somebody make me feel better about Penny.
3: Well, and just to add on to what you were saying as far as her role with Tyrion is that she has accepted the way that the world expects, what the world expects of her as a as a dwarf. She's accepted that role and, and plays it. And Tyrion has rebelled against that. Mm-hmm. And um, so that that's part of what she's teaching him too, not not that that he should accept that, but you know, he's getting a better perspective I think on you know, what the average person has to deal with in that situation that because he's been a Lannister he hasn't had to encounter. Well I mean he's encountered it but he's he's had ways to deal with it that have allowed him not to have to be put in these positions.
0: Yeah, yeah, that absolutely, absolutely. Hey, yellow belly's got yellow eyes, right? So he's jaundiced, right? But, mm, uh, he's
3: a sick, man.
0: Yeah. So, so let's, let's just go down our list of possible illnesses. Now, he went to South Aros. How do you say that continent or that mm-hmm. place?
4: Yeah,
2: that sounds good. That sounds yeah. close enough. Yeah. we
4: don't know. Yeah,
0: yeah. Um, so, uh, I, I mean, obviously. Some things that come to mind are cirrhosis or some kind of cancers or um, yellow fever, chlamydia. Yeah, maybe messing around with uh, this uh, this other girl with uh, uh, this one that's both has given him a little chlamydia. What do you think?
3: Yeah, yeah, uh, it's definitely something. I think more serious than that. I mean, he, uh, you know, like they talk about, he's like rotting from the inside out. That that continent just sounds terrible. (laughs) Everything that you've learned about it, you just don't want to go anywhere near it.
0: Yeah, it sounds like it's just like uh, not a good place to ever visit. I don't know.
2: Uh Uh, Matt, I don't know if this will fit on a tweet or not, but if you could please pull my quote of, let's not talk about chlamydia and tweet that out. That would really, I think, get people to download this episode of the podcast an awful lot. <laughs>
0: uh, I don't even know if that's making it into the podcast yet. So oh, okay, we'll just... good. All right,
4: fair enough.
3: This sounds more like you know, like some extreme form of syphilis or something.
0: Yeah, yeah chlamydia can can become rather ravaged if you don't treat it. And um, uh,
2: what was okay. what was all right? Let me. I'm going to go back kind of on to the slave auction here for a bit. And what was Tyrion? What was his game plan here, bidding on himself? And once again, almost outing himself as Tyrion, son of Tywin.
0: Yeah, all the gold in Casserly Rock, for crying out loud. (laughs) What does that say? Uh, Of course, most people would have just taken it as a joke, I guess, but obviously Brown Bin didn't. Well,
3: if he could have gotten somebody on his side that thought that he had access to these resources that could benefit them in the long run. Maybe somebody would be willing to take a gamble on that.
2: It's, he, he He's playing a dangerous game, and I don't mean Savas. He's, yeah. yeah. Well, you wonder if maybe the chapters would be more enjoyable if we truly got his thinking. Like, what is he planning? Like, we know that he wanted to get to he wants to get to Daenerys. He was happy when Jorah started taking him to Daenerys, but why can't he kind of? What is his next step? I would love to know.
0: Well, and is this you know the the thing that strikes me about him outing himself in that way, and the fact that the mushrooms are mentioned again in his in his shoe, right? Uh, makes you wonder. You know, is he saying? Is he saying, "Well, I've, I've got an alternative. If I can't get to Daenerys, then there's always this alternative." And that's—I don't know. Tyrion just is, is a downer for me in this book. I can't help it.
2: You want him to I, eat those mushrooms?
0: No, I don't. I want him to never think about him again. But he just keeps thinking about him.
2: And I, I was oh. thinking
3: back to all the way back to Game of Thrones uh, when I was reading this chapter. I was thinking about you know, where Tyrion was at back at, at that time, you know, mentally, you know, where his behavior, like you know, when he was traveling up to the wall with John and how much fun those chapters were because, you know, you just, you had this very uh, intelligent, witty person who uh, had a lot of resources to hand that could, you know, was living a very good lifestyle. You know, certainly he had, some issues with family and so forth, but nevertheless, you know, to go from that Tyrion to this Tyrion is such a huge leap. Yeah, he's definitely had a had a a a, a lot of traveling in between.
0: Yeah, yeah, definitely, he's he's definitely been on a uh, a journey, and and not uh, in the way that you expect a. Because I always have kind of thought, I know that Bubba thinks different. He's evil, Uncle Tyrion. He doesn't measure up. But I've always kind of hoped that Tyrion's trajectory, uh, up until I started reading *A Storm of Swords*, was going to continue to be upward. And that's um, obviously not realistic. Uh, but I didn't expect it to take such a such a downward turn. Uh, and I'm hoping that this course of events here, that that maybe we're coming to we'll start to see Tyrion back on on an upswing because his attitude has kind of come back a little bit uh, over the course of some of these chapters, but um, his situation hasn't, if you know what I mean.
1: No.
3: (laughs) I agree. And and I do think that, you know, with two more books coming, that there's definitely time for Tyrion to, To uh, get back, not Mm -hmm. to where he was. Obviously, he's going to be going forward, but you know, getting to where it's it's a positive situation.
2: Yeah. Well, that that's if he that's if he survives the rest of this book. That's true. uh, You know, where to be honest, Mike has been throwing it around so much. I'm not sure who could survive the rest of this book. (laughs) Yeah,
0: that's very true. That's very true. And we're dead. But just. Just from a trajectory standpoint, uh it seems like Tyrion's in a little bit of a trough right now, we can only hope that he climbs out of it back to a peak.
2: Well, I would say I would say he can't get any lower, but I mean you know what I mean by that.
0: <laughs> oh, 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 oh. <laughs> Peter Dinklage just signed a lawsuit. Thanks. Podcast WinFL will no longer be on the air. Oh, um, no wait, he doesn't Peter doesn't read the books, so we're safe. That's true. Uh, <laughs> he
2: turned it he turned it off with the NBRs
0: he turned it off with the NBRs uh we plugged we plugged his project and uh so he's happy good no lawsuits anything else on this chapter guys come on
4: well it was, I think I, think
0: I'm
3: it, out I think it is interesting that uh that uh Tyrion and Penny are gonna go perform for the Maris we learn at the end of this chapter I mean you wondered when uh, the the commander there was was talking to the uh, Yezin, is it that that bought them? You wondered why Yezin kind of looked angry. Tyrion picked up on that, and I guess it was because uh, they were. You know, he was telling them that he wanted them to come perform. I don't think the that the Yezin was quite prepared for that,
0: but oh, that's interesting. he went along with it. That's interesting. I didn't think about it like in that context. That's great. Yeah. So they says, "Oh, well, we like this guy so much. We're gonna take him. We're gonna take him to there." And 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 old is kind of like, "Uh, you you're gonna take my toys away? I just got them." Yeah. Right. right. Yeah. Good point. I love it. Um. Excellent. Anything else? No. Nope. I don't
3: think so. I don't think
0: so. All right, well let's move on to rating these chapters. I'll go first. I don't work okay. very often. Uh I'm gonna go with the blind girl. Uh, I love the way it was written and uh again, Arya is a warding queen. Love that. Uh information about Hard Home, like Susan mentioned, love that. Uh Ghost in Winterfell is next, because um, I love how everything is falling apart around the Boltons, even though I I played the uh, devil's advocate on that. Um the you know, the only thing is that I question is 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 it enough? I mean, Roos has been so cunning and everything. Is it possible that this is just a little bump in the road for him? Um, Then I'm going to go Samwell 5. I love how Old Town is uh, where we started and ended in Feast. I I thought that that was cool. And and there's all this weird peril going on within everything that's happening at Old Town that that, uh, is enjoyable and all the little little math that got unraveled. Then I'm going to go Jamie. Uh, because we got a lot of answers about the, the, the reasoning for the Westerling pardoning and, and lots of information about, um, and lots of things to speculate about as well. So um, the Blackfish is gone. Tom O's Seven Streams is definitely revealed. Uh, that's good stuff, all good stuff. And then, of course, Tyrion. And it was better than the last Tyrion chapter, but uh, uh, at least this one he's within the grasp of Danny. So I can't wait to see what happens in the Fighting Pits. Uh, Susan, how about you?
3: Okay. Uh, Well, I'm going to go with the Samwell chapter as number one because, you know, he's my hero. But I I did, I, I really enjoyed that chapter. I could understand why if it was just being read by itself and with years to go before the next one, why some people wouldn't consider it such a great chapter for an end of the book. But by itself, I think it's a great chapter, and I loved all the, the uh stuff with Marwyn in the in the Simville and Old Town. And then I would go with Jamie because I also enjoyed all the reveals about the Westerlands and all the stuff that's happening in the Riverlands. Followed by the ghost in Winterfell with all the plotting and things going on up there. And then Arya and lastly Tyrion because it just it doesn't <laughs> It's not nearly as good as the rest of these chapters. It just didn't have the kind of fun information that they did.
2: Matt, is it just me, or was Susan about to say Uncle Tyrion's chapter just doesn't measure up? <laughs>
0: it sounds kind of like that.
2: I, I it did sound like that.
0: that. Yeah, I yeah, definitely had those hints. What do you got, Bubba?
2: All right, so I am going to go The Ghost of Winterfell. I love the tension and the craziness up there. I love Manderly. If they don't have him on the show, let's kill Dave and Dan and get some real showrunners in there because this guy <laughs> is the best. He's cracking jokes. He's getting revenge. Uh, I just really liked it a lot. I'm going to go with number two. I'm going to go with The Blind Girl, mainly because of that ending. I loved the fact that she worked into the cat and then hit the I Don't Think He's Kindly man. Third, I'm actually going to go Jamie. I have always been interested in the Westerlings, and they got uh, kind of the short shrift over the novels, if you ask me, about what in the world their role was all going on in this, and the fact that we got lots. I love the last two, yeah yeah. I I, I think we (laughs) did it perfectly here on the podcast, where we talked about the chapter, and if you listen to that section of this podcast, the first 15 minutes didn't mention Samuel at all. That's not a coincidence. Boring Sam. And then finally, there's somebody out there who's easy to overlook because he's three feet tall. He's somebody who doesn't measure up and whose chapter came up a little short. The last position is for evil Uncle Tyrion. Boring. Four really good chapters. I'll even give Samuel some good stuff. But Tyrion's, uh, you know, he's in a bad headspace, and it's unfun for me as a reader to read it. But hopefully, people out there disagree.
0: All right. There you go. And feedback is next. An email from Ivana. And All right. I have, to, I have to say that I never would have thought, and this is not, this is not the, uh, any kind of criticism or anything, but I never would have thought that the thought of the hound kissing Sansa, would have sparked so much interest. All right. And then Harold's right. interest. And Ivana actually has a rebuttal of Harold's oh. points last week. So oh,
4: good.
0: Yeah, she says, I've been listening to your show for a while, although I'm currently finishing my Storm of Swords read, so I can't read along with you this time. And the first time I'm writing to you to point out some things about the Elaine II chapter, since it seems there was no way to comment on the website. Sorry about that, uh, first of all, Ivana. I turned the comments off it, all year round except when I'm doing the polls uh, for the TV show. And the reason that I do that now is because um, the only thing you can do through that website is moderate uh, which posts go what and where, and it's just too hard to sort through 200 spam comments uh, to get to one good one, and that's why I turn the comments off. But they'll be back on for the polls, so if you want to comment on the website, then you'll be able to comment on any of the any of the previous um Uh, entries. Anyway, your listener, Harold, whose email you read last time was way off about Sansa's memory of the Night of the Blackwater. Contrary to what he said, this is not the first time Sansa had the fake memory of Sandor kissing her. She, She first had this memory in the second chapter of A Storm of Swords. It's also not contrary to what he said the first time she's associated him with thoughts about sex. I mean, a marriage bed. This also happened in A Storm of Swords in a dream Sansa had. Uh, And Sandor definitely did leave a bloody cloak behind, his white king's guard cloak, burnt and smeared with blood during the Battle of Blackwater. This is from a quote from uh, A Clash of Kings. When she crawled out of the bed long moments later, she was alone. She found his cloak on the floor, twisted up and tight, the white wool stained with blood and fire. The sky outside was darker by then, with only a few pale green ghosts dancing against the stars. A chill wind was blowing, banging against the shutters. Sansa was cold. She shook out the torn cloak and huddled beneath it in the floor, shivering. Um, in A swarm of Swords, Sansa is thinking back on that night, and her memory is first still mostly accurate. This is where we find out she's been keeping Sandor's bloody cloak as remembrance. I wish the hound were here. The night of the battle, Sandor Clagane had come to her bedchambers to take her from the city but Sansa had refused. Sometimes she lay awake at night wondering if she'd been wise. She had his stained white cloak hidden in a cedar chest beneath her summer silks. She could not say why she'd kept it. The hound had turned craven she'd, she'd heard it said. At the height of the battle he got so drunk the imp had to take his men. But Sansa understood. She knew the secret of the burned face. It was only the fire he feared. That night, the wildfire had set the river itself ablaze and filled every air with green flame. And filled the very air with green flame, even in the castle, Sansa had been afraid. Outside, she could scarcely imagine it. That is from uh, a storm of swords. Sansa 1. In the very next Sansa chapter, she has the fake memory of the kiss for the first time. Alla had a lovely voice, and when coaxed, she would play the wood harp and sing songs of chivalry and lost loves. Mega couldn't sing, but she was mad to be kissed. She and Allah played kissing games sometimes, she confessed, but it wasn't the same as kissing a man, much less a king. Sansa wondered what Mega would think about kissing the hound as she had. He'd come to her the night of the battle, stinking of wine and blood. He kissed me and threatened to kill me and made me sing him a song. That's from A Storm of Swords, Sansa 2. While she's at the fingers during the bedding of Lysa and Littlefinger. While everyone is getting busy with each other, Sansa thinks back to her wedding night and starts to think about Sandor Clegane. I'm going to just read what she's bolded here. A dog can smell a lie, you know, the hound had told her once. She could almost hear the rough rasp of his voice, look around you, and take a good whiff. You're all liars here, and everyone better than you. She wondered what had become of Sandor Clegane. Um... Uh, She then goes to her bed and lies down next to the old blind dog owned by one of Baelish's servants, strokes him and calls him, you sad sad old hound. But then the singer Marillion comes over and starts unwanted sexual advances until Luther Brun cuts him with his knife and saves Sansa. Uh, Sansa at first thinks for a moment she's Sandor, or he's Sandor, who saved her from being raped by the mob at King's Landing. As quick as that, Marillion was gone. The other remained, looming over Sansa in the darkness. Lord Peter said to watch out for you. And she, it was Luther Brune's voice. She realized, not the hound. No, how could it be? Of course, it had to be Luther. Lothar, pardon me. Um, right afterwards, she goes to sleep and, the dream, and has a dream in which Sansa re- relives her wedding night with Tyrion. Except in the dream, it's Sandor in her bed instead. That night, Sansa scarcely slept at all, but tossed and turned, just as she had aboard the Merlin King. She dreamt of Joffrey dying, but as he clawed clawed at his throat and the blood ran across his fingers, she saw with horror it was her brother, Rob. And she dreamed of the wedding night, too, of Tyrion's eyes devouring her as she undressed. Only then, he was bigger than Tyrion had any right to be, and when he climbed into the bed, his face was scarred only on one side. I have a song for you, he rasped, and Sansa woke to found the old blind dog beside her once again. I wish that you were lady, she said. That's from A Storm of Swords, Sansa 6. Considering that fact, if you recall the wedding night, Tyrion was fully naked and uh excited. This dream <laughs> may have been a bit NC-17. <laughs> what
2: what, what does she mean he was excited? I'm confused. <laughs>
0: uh, she she says er uh, dash 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 excited, so... Um, I'm not she's gonna sure. have to
2: write in with more explicit, I mean, uh, descriptive uh, things. I'm
0: so <laughs> lost. All right, so she's made many points, and there's even a couple more points here, but I'm going to skip to the end here as to what sure. it all means. For well, for some reason, she always thinks of Sandor whenever sex or kissing comes up. I wonder why that is. Their relationship has certainly been well developed in the first two books, and it seemed to have an impact on both since they've thought about each other quite a lot since. Or in Sandor's case, talk to Arya about Sansa a lot. Harold's statement is like it, that. It's like Sansa shipping herself with a random character made me laugh. You will see in *A Storm of Swords* and later volumes, Sansa remembers the hound kissing her night. He be, kissing her the night he came to her bedroom. But if you look at the scene, he never does. That will eventually mean something, but it's, just now it's a subtle touch something that most readers may not even pick up on, uh, regards Ivana. Thank you for the thoughts, Ivana. And uh, Yeah, so it wasn't the first time in Feast. Uh, The question remains, why? And, of course, that's a question that we don't have an answer to yet, right?
2: That's true. I want to know if Ivana ever has dreams about the hound. No, I'm (laughs) kidding. kidding. She's very detailed. I love that.
0: Very detailed. In fact, uh, like I said, there were several more quotes, and sorry to short you, but we're already running so long. I'm just trying to, because we have a, a lot of emails too. This email from Tessa. Who said, All right. Why would Littlefinger be deliberately poisoning Sweet Robin? If Robin dies, Littlefinger loses. He doesn't get his year of power in the veil because Harry w- would inherit the eerie. It seems like at the moment he is just sedating Robin out of necessity to keep him calm during delicate times. I find it very hard to believe Littlefinger wants him dead yet. Um, headaches and sensitivity to light sounds more like a hangover or withdraws than poisoning to me. Maybe the maester is cutting down the percentage of sedatives in his sweet milk. Hmm. Any thoughts on that? I
2: don't know. I just – everything she's saying is absolutely right, but, you know, dare I say Littlefinger thinks uh, several steps ahead. And to me, it feels like he's already planning for Little Robin to be dead, so I would assume he's in the process of killing Little Robin. I could be wrong, but that's just the way it read to me.
0: Okay. Uh, fair enough. I agree.
2: Harrow... Oh,
0: oh, sorry, Susan. Thank you. Um, Harold has woken the dragon. How dare he compare Han Solo to Dario? Han Solo is freaking awesome, and Dario Amen. is just a jerk. I challenge yes. him to reveal his thought <laughs> process on that one. Poor Harold's getting a lot of slack this week, poor guy. <laughs> um, so we're, we're all in agreement that uh, Han Solo is definitely superior to Dario, I'm assuming, right? Mm-hmm. Uh,
2: are you, you know what? I think Toe Fungus is superior to Dario. I mean, uh, <laughs> this guy's a loser.
0: <laughs> and I kind of think that was Harold's actual point. But uh, as long as we're going to nitpick, then yeah, uh, Han Solo is definitely better. Uh, right, Susan?
2: Right. I mean would you rather have the pale mayor or Dario? I think most people say, Give me the pale mayor and two ask, you know <laughs> oh, I don't know about that. <laughs> Susan Susan agrees completely. Thank you, Susan.
0: <laughs> All right. Well, uh she has a prediction. Ricken oh, and Asha oh. have gone to hide on Skagos. Ricken was growing increasingly feral until he disappeared from the story, and the loss of his remaining family hasn't helped. Asha has always been strong-willed and bossy. Ricken is getting pretty sick of it, preferring the company of his feral wolf. They arrive on Skagos to discover that the cannibals are actually squishers, men eating relatives of the mirror people. Biter was one. Uh, Rickon employs carrot and stick, using ferocious shaggy dog to subdue them while offering annoying Osha up <laughs> on a platter to mollify them. <laughs> he becomes their lord. <laughs> Varys the merman arrives on the island hoping to treat with the squishers and rally them to his cause, but finds himself parlaying with now the completely feral Rickon who punctuates his speech with low growl and the gnashing of teeth. Dallas arrives unnoticed and creeps up behind a tree to listen. Here's part of Barry's plan for Westeros domination and decides he'd better rush back to Stannis to give him the lowdown on this new power rising. Will he make it off the island or alive, or will the Onionite be stewed up for his namesake?
4: <laughs> can, right. can
2: I say that that was written in a timely fashion? Obviously George Martin didn't write that because it's completed. So, you know, the next chapter's done. So
0: no. just let this
2: person just let this person finish the books, please.
0: Yeah. <laughs> She's been offering a lot of things that would fit very well in the POV chapters of, of Joffrey, actually.
2: Right, that's true. I mean you know what? This is somebody who knows how to write and not how to giggle. <laughs> <laughs>
0: <laughs> I always think George sounds like Beavis. I know. Or, yeah, yeah. I always think he sounds like Beavis. When he
4: you know not. why he
2: really sounds like Beavis is when you listen to both of them, you never hear a typewriter
0: keyboard going. Hmm. <laughs> uh, she's got more. Melisandre oh, wow. uses le- leeches to do her ma- black magic. Now let's do some basic bubba math here. Who else have we seen use leeches put all over them? Could Roose Bolton be slightly different magic with his own blood? Can anyone think of anything that might support or disprove this idea? P.S. The Roose Bolton is a vampire crackpot theory is hilarious, by the way. Can't remember if you guys ever talked about that, but it might be fine. Well, no, we haven't ever talked about that. But uh, the, the idea of Roose using leeches, uh, it, is he using it for something other than his health, or is he just that paranoid?
2: You know, he's doing blood magic. This person's figured it out. When you are a vampire, there's like a, like when you're a vampire and you suck the blood of somebody, it's not just that you're sucking their blood, but also all the blood they've sucked. So it's easier just to go through leeches and use protection. Good point. (laughs) (laughs) Uh,
0: Susan, were you, I I have to admit, I wasn't even aware of the Roose Bolton as a vampire crackpot theory. Uh, Were you aware of that? I, I am aware of it. It's pretty funny. It's funny. Okay. <laughs> yeah. it's it, it, But is it as funny as my crackpot theories? That's See, I got a little bit of jealousy going on here.
1: It's more logical.
0: Oh, okay. <laughs> <laughs> Excellent. Excellent. Uh, email from Peter in Australia. All right. He's watching hey, yeah. lots of classmates. Uh, I was watching lots of clips of the cast members conferences on YouTube where I was amazed that so many of the cast said they hadn't read the books. Don't you think you, uh, see, don't you think you would have to peek uh, to see if your character was still in the books by book five? I mean, otherwise, you'd get all excited that your show, that you're in the show only to get killed in chapter three of Book One. I don't know about you, but I would want to know how important a character really is. Also, you need to know so you can continue your career after Game of Thrones. Loving the tandem read. While there have been times during the tandem read where, like Bubba, I wanted to shout, get on with it. I hope the the proper phrase, Peter, is skip ahead. Uh, Anyway, uh, I hope that these slightly slower-paced chapters might lead to really exciting last couple of books because George seems to be setting things up for an exciting finish. When you have a series of books written by the same author, there's usually a calm before the storm, at least in my experience anyway. Do you think George has decided for these books in the tandem read uh, that he was going to spend more time on background stuff so he can go with the bang bang in the last couple of books? Uh, What do you think, Bubba? Is it all just set up for the big finish? Well,
2: I do believe there is a lot of setup in these books, and I would say that you know, without giving away, for people who are reading along with us, without giving away anything, there is the thought you could look at these, uh, the way this book ends and realize how there can be a lot of exciting stuff in the next book. But I think this pace is going to continue. I think he's on, you know, he's gotten into the history so much, and he's writing other books and stuff. I I think he can't help himself, and I and I sadly am not sure we're ever going to see a kind of go-go bananas, uh, you know, cuckoo banana stuff that I love so much at the end of a Storm of Swords. I hope so, but I have to be honest, I kind of doubt it. I think this is the pace we're on.
0: Wow. Susan, any thoughts on that?
2: Um,
3: I think that that there is a a lot of setup going on for other things and I'm not as convinced as as Bubba that it's not going to pick up a lot more but I do think it probably won't be quite where the early books were because of the fact that the story has gotten so broad I mean he's, he's got so many things he's got to wrap up.
0: Yeah, but what better, what better way to 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 wrap things up than just bang, 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 kill them all? Oh, not that one because you saw that <clears one> guy <throat> in the TV show. So I'm not going to kill that one. But yeah, no, I no, I I I have hope. I have hope that uh, if nothing else, it'll be interesting. Um, at least more interesting than most of the Tyrion chapters in this book. Oh, Sting. Uh, let's see. Um, and as far as the actors not reading the books, um, you know. Almost all of those actors in the first season signed, like, I think, four or five season contracts, most of them four season contracts. So I don't think it was really a matter of a concern as to whether they were going to be around or not, because I don't know how those kind of contracts work. Um, Heath could probably tell me better since he's a professional actor out in L.A., but um, it seems to me that you would get some compensation for all four of those years, unless there's some stipulation in the contract that, well, we could cut you off at any time, um, that might be a concern. But it, at any rate, if you sign a four-year contract, then you've got to commit those four years uh, uh, at least uh, to the show. Um, you have to set your career in that way. And, of course, a lot of the characters uh, or a lot of the actors have reset their contracts for, um, you know, they, they, they got re-signed uh, in this last year for enormous amounts of money so uh, I'm sure that they don't care much about it. And, and it hasn't stopped Surfy Turner. She's, she's going to be an X-Men. Uh, it hasn't stopped the gentleman who plays Dario 2.0. He's going to be in a lot of films. Um, so I, I don't see it really being a career hindrance. Um, so there we go. Uh, email from Steve. Let me start by saying there were a lot of false deaths. Asha, Tyrion, fake people, uh, Elaine, and switched identities. Jane Poole as Arya so far in the story. It is in this pattern that I thought that maybe the Jane Jamie talks to in Riverrun is not who he thinks she is. I also think Brendan Tully is on his way up to meet with Quincy Cox at Saltpans, which will put him at the heart of the action with the Brotherhood Without Banners, the northern prisoners being released by the phrase, and the veil vale for the next book. He was only staying at Riverrun to be a decoy per Rob's orders. Brendan was not present at the meeting where Rob declares his heir, presumably John, in the event that Jane does not have a child. I speculate that before Rob leaves for the twins, he confides in Brendan and intends to sneak Jane away from all the fighting because he thinks she might be pregnant. He then orders the blackfish to maintain a ruse no matter what. Brendan, being no Edmure, is able to follow orders and stays at River Run until the Crown's troops show up demanding Jane. He insinuates that the part lay with Jamie that he has Jane and that John is a traitor, misdirecting Jamie from Rob's decree. Evidence I have that Jane was not present at River Run for this chapter is first of all, when Jamie sees Jane, the first thing he thinks is at least the girl did not vanish too. Now, we all know from Tyrion that Jamie is a fool. So this is all I need to know. <laughs> I have more. Jamie sees Jane as awkward with narrow hips. In this direct contradiction to what Catelyn sees in her from a Storm of Swords oh this is in direct contradiction to what Catelyn sees in her. From Storm of Swords we learn that Kat sees Jane as having good hips. I know Jamie is male and Catelyn is female, and perhaps they see the female form differently, but I think Jamie has as a grown man, would be able to tell if someone has good hips. The next indication that I had that Jane could be someone else is the scar Jamie sees and the way Sibel Westerling responds. Again in Storm, we learn that Rob has a crown made for Jane's sister, Elena. I think the person Jamie is talking to is, in fact, her. It is clear her mom is frustrated, but I think she is mad about Jane's disappearance, and Elena's disobedience. She probably did get the scar when her mom tried to take the little crown from the rebel gave her, and she probably did love Rob more as a crush that Elena would have oh, more as a crush that Elena would have had over the true love Jane had. To me, if it was Jane, she would have been more despondent and almost comatose after Rob's death. The Jane we see was more of a brat, whining about the crown. And bursting from her chair. Then, when we see the escort, Jamie sends off 400 men gone on de- a decoy to protect Edmure and the Westerlings departing. Someone who knows of Jane as Gowan's girl does not directly identify her because she rides with downcast eyes beneath a hooded cloak. Uh, Jamie and the guardsmen are the only ones that see her before in the solar so I have to wonder if anyone who might be able to recognize Elena ever saw her. Plus, Elena, that is to say Jane's sister, is not mentioned in the chapter once. I have the timeline worked out from the Catelyn and Arya chapters as to how long it would take for Jane to get to saltpans and when Rob decides to be coming from Storm that I could outline in a future episode. One last tidbit, I noticed when reading past Catelyn chapters It is when Jane inadvertently describes the abortive mom uh, is using, oh, let me try that again. One last tidbit I noticed when reading past Catelyn chapters is that when Jane inadvertently describes the abortive her mom is using, she does so in front of Hoster Tully. The next chapter, we are at his funeral, and Catelyn reveals that his last words were Tansy. I wonder if it was a bit like the boy who called Tansy where this was his last coherent message he wanted to get out after hearing the same method about for aborting Lysa's child being done to his grandson's queen, and his daughter did not get it because of his guilt-stricken ravings from Clash. Mm-hmm. Okay, interesting. I like
2: that. I like that. I want to say that I would love to believe this, theory. I would love to believe this kind of talk, but some of the holes in it are kind of holes, so yes Jane Westerling did have this younger sister who isn't really mentioned in this chapter at all except kind of tangentially about uh, the mother Westerling saying, hey, you gotta make good matches for Jane and her sisters and stuff but if we understand correctly Jane's sister was supposed to be like 12 and Jane was supposed to be like 14 or 50, and so Jamie yes, he describes this woman as, you know, narrow hips, but he also describes her as like 15, 60. I don't... I have a hard time seeing how Jamie would screw up the age so much of this sister. You know, how he could see a 12-year-old and still suddenly think, oh, she must be 14 or 15. And right. so I... And there's been rumors, I haven't confirmed this myself, that on some reprintings of the Storm of Swords, they have removed the mentioning of hips at all from this Jamie chapter. So it doesn't contradict what Catelyn said. And so I don't know. I, I would love it to be true. I, I'd love the story to get kind of complex like that as opposed to sprawling like it it can at times. But sadly, I'm just not sure. I believe the Jane Westerling is pregnant and not there at Riverrun uh, theory.
0: Well. The biggest sticking point for me uh, on sure. all of this after, after reading this chapter is the fact that we've identified Sabelle as the inside woman, more or less. Right. right. So why would she lie to Jamie about Jane is, is my big thing.
2: She would have what, had what? to flip sides somehow, which doesn't make too much logical sense as to when she would have flipped sides. Right. So I don't know.
0: Yeah. I, I mean, I, definitely still a possibility. I mean, I, right. I, I, you know, I certainly don't want to discount this. It's just that the, that was the big sticking point for me. It's like, here you have, you have Sabelle uh, negotiating with Jamie based on what's been done, and I guess she could be trying to play her own little seductive or deceptive little Game of Thrones, but it doesn't, doesn't really seem to, to jive with everything that she's, she's done in the past. Uh, and, and In order to deceive everybody about her daughter, uh because it only places her daughter in much more danger and it, it seems to me that her negotiations with Jamie are all about keeping their family safe right
2: Well, yeah, I think there are ways you can explain that away, like she is she 's got to play the Lannisters for suckers if she 's flip side but uh i once again i just I just have trouble buying it susan what what do you think?
3: I agree with you I, and I've had the same concerns about when you read this chapter I just feel like the whole scene with uh Jane and uh her mother and Jamie just it, it just doesn't it doesn't flow with the rest of this. Now admittedly I haven't looked closely at and heard all of the evidence that you know some of the things that were said here that might make that a little bit more of a possibility so i'd be interested in reading more about it to get a better idea but it hadn't been one that that had really been something i would bought into all
4: right right. and Uh,
2: uh, let me say there was a part of me that wondered if martin didn't encourage the showrunners to show that jane westerling was never pregnant and not that he encouraged them to killed Alyssa as brutally as he did it as they did at the red wedding. But if he didn't say, Hey, I've got this issue. Can you make it clear? You know, mm-hmm. maybe, maybe that's me projecting, but it, it seems like, you know, that would have been a big deal. He might've explained to the showrunners before, you know, back at the very beginning, before they even started the first season, let alone the season with the red
0: wedding. Right. Right. Well, Steve, we, um, still we still encourage your thoughts and send us more stuff. If you have more evidence, please start sending it whenever it's appropriate. Because uh, I've still got a couple more emails to read here, guys. An email from Gal. Here's some things you missed last week about Danny. Keep in mind Danny's symptoms. She can't sleep. People say she's glowing or something along that line. Twice, loss of appetite, and to be continued. Um, so, we're supposed to keep in mind her symptoms. I didn't recall those symptoms, but that I could be because it was a Danny chapter and I just glazed over. Um, yeah, I didn't
2: I, – I, oh, no, that's cold, Matt. But I, I have to be honest, because I, I don't remember people saying she's calling. Maybe, you know, this could be real subtly hidden there, though. So, uh, does that make you want to go back and read a, the Danny chapter over again?
0: Um. No, not especially. (laughs) Oh,
4: Oh, Pat. I know, I
0: know, I know, I know. I will. Gal, I'll I'll give it a shot. This is Gal from Israel who continues to say, glass candles. Uh, Marwin mentions that the glass candles can enable him to manipulate dreams of others. Uh, This made me think of all the dreams that have been mentioned throughout the books, especially the Quaith prophecy, the one that uh, starts with the glass candles burning. Is Quaith using a glass candle? Is Marwin imposing his quake? Uh Can we detect other manipulations of dreams from the glass candles throughout the series? Well, we've talked about all of that, right? Um, so I don't know if there's anything more we can say on that. Uh, here he says, let's do some math. Um, Sam leaves Gilly at the first light to tell her to stay at the cinnamon wind until he returns the next day. Gilly kisses him for good luck. At nightfall, Archmaester Morrowind Marwyn leaves the Citadel with great haste, heading to the Cinnamon Wind to take him to Marine. Gilly won all of the. Gilly has won an all-expense included cruise to Slavers Bay. Who knows? And, and and remember that I think Gal was the one who presented a theory that um, that Craster may have been a de- Targaryen descendant. Right. From the, so he says, who knows if my theory that Gilly has Targaryen blood is true? Maybe she will ride a dragon. Mmm. Uh, interesting. Interesting. Um, so it, it's dependent on whether it, you know. I said the same thing. You know, Gilly could be uh, on a boat to, to Slavers Bay right now. But uh, if if that is uh, if that does happen, we'll just have to see what it means. Uh, finally, an email from Harold who says, "I don't really have anything to add this week. I'm pretty certain you guys will hit on all the points that I would raise." So this week, instead of my usual commentary, I simply give you an extended version of the Westeros death match. But first just <laughs> so quickly to respond to your thoughts about whether you should turn against Jorah again, my answer is no. They simply aren't the same situations. Jorah built up Daenerys' confidence and protected her when <laughs> there was no one else to do that for her. His affection for her presumably developed from the closeness of their relationship. Maybe he's confusing paternal love for something else, but there's an innocent reason behind what may be a misguided affection. Dario, on the other hand, is just a selfish, dirty old man pervert who has never given anything meaningful meaningful to Daenerys aside from his strong bellwass and serves absolutely no (laughs) purpose to this story. So he has reaffirmed his hate for Dario, but Harold, remember, Dario is nowhere on the level of Han Solo. On Solo, much better. On to the Westeros <laughs> deathmatch. Uh, okay, so you guys know the rules. Simply tell me who wins in a fight to the death between the two combatants. Assume that everyone is healthy and alive, and that it is a fair fight with equal weapons and armor, no outside interference, and magic is not a factor. Now, sure. this is Harold's this is fourth set of four contestants. So what I'm going to do for our book creator yeah. fans is I'm going I'm to make a little tourney style, and I'm going to set up some polls. Uh, so that you can vote for each person, and we're going to see who ends up uh, in the end out of these 32 contestants that the Herald has lined up uh, total so far. Uh, look for that this Friday on the website, and then once a week we'll, we'll update uh, with the new matches. All right. All right. Anyway, on, the, on to the regular matchups. Here we go. Uh, the Waif versus Leaf. the child of the forest. Susan.
2: Leaf.
3: She's more athletic.
2: No, 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 no. Give me give me Leaf experience.
0: Okay, so two for yeah. Leaf. Two for Leaf and no one for the Waif. That's three for Leaf and no one for the Waif. Uh, because she's a child of the forest. Come on, the Waif is just a kid with poisons. And I'm ruling out
3: that she can have the
0: poisons. Yeah. That seems like, yeah. Yeah. Doesn't it doesn't seem doesn't even seem like a fair fight, uh there, Harold. Uh, here's a great one. <laughs> like Crazy Salise, Florent versus Cersei Lannister.
4: Ooh.
3: Is it to me?
0: Uh let's let Baba go first this time.
3: Okay.
2: Good. Listen, always bet on Silise. I know, I know, I know.
0: Wow. What you got, Susan?
3: Okay, uh, okay, I was confused on who the person was. was, You're not talking about not Jane's mother. That's not who we're talking about. No, okay.
0: No, we're talking about Felice Florent. I think we're talking about Uh, Felice Baratheon,
2: right? Right. I think he's given her maiden name for some reason first up.
0: Okay, her versus Cersei? Yeah.
3: I'd say Cersei.
2: Oh.
0: I do, too. Cersei's just too... Uh, what? In, a, in a match where she can't cheat, she'll find a way to cheat. That's just the way it is. Uh, so, we've got that one. Uh, here we go. The Mad King, Aegon Targaryen, versus Gendry. Oh, qualifying that the Mad King, Aegon Targaryen, as he is in the books, which is the only way we really know him, other than the histories and lore. So, uh, Aegon Targaryen versus Gendry. Aegon was? No, wait a minute. Not not the Mad King. It was uh, uh. Aegon would have been the Conqueror. I'm sorry. Oh, what? Because was is Mad. A, right. We're talking about Aegon Targaryen, the Conqueror, versus uh, Gendry. Uh,
2: oh, he doesn't mean he doesn't mean fake Aegon from this book. So confusing. Yeah. Okay. True. So Aegon the first,
3: the Conqueror, versus Gendry Aegon.
0: Yeah, I'd say two. Yeah. Okay. I let's, mean, yes. All right. Well, then and let's down. throw it. Let's throw it then to Fagon versus Gendry, then, and see what we come up with there.
3: I'd uh, still go with uh, Fagon because he's had all that training.
2: No, I, I'd go with Gendry. Just pure strength. He's been beating his. Uh, excuse me. He's been hitting the <laughs> anvil. All
0: right. So if it's the Conqueror, then we have. Um, we have Aegon. Conclusively, and I got to decide between Fagon or Gendry. I'm going Gendry also uh, because uh, I, uh, let's face it, A- this Aegon that Tyrion's been dealing with is kind of whiny. Amen. Uh, so, uh, last match. Here we go. Braun versus Yaakin Hagar. That's
2: easy. Oh, please. Jack and Hagar all the way for the win.
0: Yeah,
3: I have to agree.
0: Yeah, unanimously. Ron even, yeah,
2: Bron wouldn't even know it's a fight.
0: <laughs> yeah, Bron would be like, wait a minute. You're, you're that girl that I did in the in, in the brothel the other day. Right. Oh. <laughs> He'd yeah. be dead before he knew it. He'd be dead before he even picked up his sword. Uh, special super, super heavyweight two-on-two matchup. The rules are the same, but I would just add that this is a two-on-two match, not tag team. So the combatants are both in the match the entire time, fighting until both members of the, the opposing team are dead. All True. right. Lord, Ye- I'm not going to try and say this guy's name. Not even going to try. Uh, Yezenzo Kagaz. I don't know. Is that close? The Yellow Whale versus mm-hmm. Illyrio, Mo- Illyrio Mopatis. Sorry. That's team one. Team two is Doran Mortel and Wyman Manderly. Manderly.
2: Oh, Manderley yeah. has eaten his enemies. Give me Manderley, Uh
3: huh. And Doran. I mean, he's crafty.
4: Yeah, uh, my I mean, only
3: he, thing he might. He be like ill, but I mean, he's he's he he's can he'll he'll figure out a strategy.
0: Yeah, I guess it's just down to the last man, and uh, I don't know, man. As as much as Wyman Wyman likes his meat. Uh, I'm kind of thinking that uh, Illyrio likes everything, so uh, <laughs> uh, I don't know. It's a tough call. It's a tough call. I'm I'm uh, given well. You got you got one guy with gout. You got one guy with some kind of disease getting eaten up from the inside. So those two will probably just fall over dead at the same time. So it's really Illyrio versus Wyman, right? Ah, then I give it to Wyman. I give it to Wyman.
2: Thank you. All right. Yeah. Okay.
0: All right. And, guys, it has been a monstrously long podcast. So uh, I want to especially thank uh, Mike, who was with us earlier, again, at Fifth Column Film on Twitter, and, of course, the two guests who stayed through the remainder of this marathon of a podcast. First of all, Susan, thank you so much for joining us. How can people talk to you about A Song of Ice and Fire on uh, the interwebs?
3: They can talk to me at uh, Black Eyed Lily on Twitter. And um, I am going to leave a cliffhanger for next week, then, because there's something that I want to add that uh, goes along with one of your uh, add to one of the emails. But I'm going to carry it over till next time, something for people to come back for.
0: Okay, all right, sounds good. And uh, Bubba, of course, from the Joffrey of Podcast, you and Catfish just put one out one, uh, I guess, a week or so ago. Uh, So Season 5 stuff's coming up from you guys, I'm sure, Uh, as that season goes along. You can find it on iTunes and on Stitcher. And how can people talk to you about A Song of Ice and Fire, sir?
2: Well, I've only said it 15 times in this episode, so I demand at least one new follower on Twitter. You can reach me, Bubba, at Fit and Trim, F-I-T-T-E-N-T-R-I-N, at Fit and Trim on Twitter. Thanks, you guys, for listening this whole time.
0: Yeah, thanks for sticking with us. And uh, next week, we're done with Feast, so it's all A Dance with Dragons. Jamie 8, John 10, Daenerys 8, Theon, Uh, just Theon in A Dance with Dragons, and then Daenerys 9. And remember, each week's reading material can be found at the 2014 and beyond tab. And we have what's up for us in 2015, since there's not going to be any Winds of Winter We're going to reread Game of Thrones since we've never done that on this podcast. But you can find all of that stuff at PodcastWinterfell.com. Here's Axel Foley to tell you how to submit feedback regarding any of these chapters or the fact that these podcasts are too long or whatever you want to (laughs) yell at me about. Don't yell at my friends who come on this podcast and give up their valuable time. But yell at me. Yell at me. I take it. Here's Axel Foley to tell you
1: how. See ya.